And we are live, ladies and gentlemen. How are you folks doing today? I am your host, Sov... No, I'm not Sovereign. That's me. I'm Shiny. And uh, welcome to episode 19 of the Worldwide Wednesday podcast. Yes, and we have a lot to talk about in terms of both... And we are live, ladies and gentlemen. How are you folks doing today? Swear to God, I feel like I should remember how to do this, but I don't because I'm an idiot. Why do I leave you in charge of these things? <laughs> well, you, you, honestly, next week, you should just take over. Ugh. Honestly. Honest to God. Just take over next week. <laughs> I clearly am not <laughs> equipped to be able to handle this anymore. <laughs> so, uh, yes, uh, uh, n- next week, uh, Sovereign will be handling stream setup. Oh, God. So, um, yes. Any, Anyways... We have a lot of media to talk about, and as, as well you, as a lot of politics. So, as you can tell by our title, we have one big glaring problem looking at us in the eye. Yes. We, we morbed too hard. Okay, and when we say we, don't put me in this category. This is entirely Sovereign and his ilk, because <laughs> I had warned Sovereign numerous times the proliferation of these memes was going to get to the sony executive heads and they're gonna pull some shit like this and lo and behold i was right you and your degenerate ilk caused this shit to happen i hope you're happy i actually am i hate you because just as one final slap to sony it only made eighty-five thousand at the box office on opening day yeah that's actually pretty fucking abysmal which is about the equivalent of 80 dollars per theater which is basically the equivalent (laughs) of what like five people in a theater per (laughs) showing exactly that's actually fucking horrible that's that's actually horrible how bad that is like on and like i on some levels i understand why it would fuck on some levels i would understand why it would fail for one this movie came out how long ago what was it march yeah it's june i think it was march or april it's it's june it Mm. is uh this was never a movie see what i really feel should have happened was that um, if they were actually serious about this, they would not have done it this late. They would have done it sooner. Yeah, they would have extended its R. They would have extended its initial um, theater run to a, be a bit longer, and that I feel like would have been more profitable. See, and here's the thing that I don't think the execs understood: the whole meme was about not watching the movie, and I don't think they understood that. It's like, oh my god. Our movie's getting a lot of attention now. Let's re-release it! Only to not figure out that they were the joke. See, here's the thing. I think they entirely knew they were the joke. They just didn't give a fuck. Because, as as the saying goes, all publicity is good publicity. There is no such thing as bad publicity. So, in my opinion, I don't think they gave a fuck that people were clowning on it. People were still talking about it. And at the end of the day, if people are talking about your shit, you succeeded. Yeah. 
unfortunately, I think this comes out to a net loss on them. I disagree. You think so? It may have come out as a net loss on this endeavor, but practice makes perfect. The fact that this even happened says something to them. It tells them that if we are just a bit more on the ball when it comes to harnessing these memes, we can make any failure into a financial success. Remember, despite the fact that we rank Morbius as a two, and we think it's one of the worst superhero movies to ever be released, this movie made a profit. Yeah. This movie made a profit. This movie by corporate executive standards, is a success in the sense that they did not lose money. Because at the end of the day, it well su- su- uh, surpassed its um, its budget, which, mind you, does not account for um, marketing, because most uh, studios don't reveal their marketing uh, budgets uh, alongside the actual budget of the movie. But given, but, how piss, time, but given how piss poor the marketing was for this project to begin with it wasn't it wasn't wasn't much money to begin with so they made money and this is actually to me the problem i've always had with the memes proliferating this movie was that it was going to tell corporate executives that they can make a shitty movie but if they meme it to high heavens they can turn a profit on it and yes this failed it's um it's rerun in theaters however that doesn't tell them don't do this again that tells them find a different strategy to do it again and what i just said most likely is going to factor into it which is basically what if we just extend the initial runtime when the memes come out that in my opinion will net more money than a re-release because think about it if it's already in theaters people that have seen the memes will be like oh hey it's still in theaters you want to give it a watch versus it being re-released and people then seeing the announcement of a re-release and making it a meme. If it's already in theaters and you just extend its runtime, you extend its run in theaters subtly, that does less to take the wind out of the sail of the memes and makes it more likely that people are going to go watch your movie on a whim because they heard about it in a meme. Yeah. And that's going to make you more money in the long run. Which isn't good because it was a bad movie. And we shouldn't be able to have bad movies be made, but it being rewarded for being so bad that it can start turning a profit. Mind you, yes, if a movie doesn't make a profit, it's effectively just money laundering in Hollywood. But still. Yeah. Yeah. At the end of the day, I do see where you're coming from with that. Because, yeah, it doesn't apply to Morbius, but it could apply to a future movie. El Muerto. I'm looking at El Muerto because let's be honest here. The moment El Muerto got announced, the memes, it piggybacked off of the Morbius memes. And let's be honest here, El Muerto million memes, that shit is going to be there when that movie comes out. And do you know what's even worse? This movie has even more potential for staying power because it has Bad Bunny and his army of simps. Jared Leto at least has controversy because, you know... He was the lead singer in 30 Seconds to Mars, which was a decent band. But then he also has his whole cult allegations. Then there was the whole, he was the Joker and not a good Joker. And all of the harassment he did to the members of Suicide Squad. But Bad Bunny doesn't have that. Bad Bunny is a well-respected Hispanic rapper who makes good music and has a legion of simps. Yeah. A movie like that 
with the mean power of Morbius, even if it's to surpass Morbius and really be a test for Sony to see, can we make shitty movies out of obscure Spider-Man properties and turn a profit from it and then just keep doing that over and over again? And also screw over the MCU in the process. I'm not even... I don't give a fuck if they screw over the MCU. I'm talking mainly from an artistic and um, just, like, completely creative bankrupt standpoint. Fuck the MCU for this conversation. Because at, at, at this point, like, I'm still worried, like, oh, they have complete liberty to, to take characters from that universe and just plop them in. We're using any excuse they see fit. At this point, I kind of have stopped caring about that. And I've kind of just taken it as to how I view um, shitty comic book storylines. Where, um, yeah, sometimes your favorite character from a very good comic book storyline gets dropped into what is ostensibly a very shitty comic book storyline, and you kind of just gotta live with it. Yeah. So, I kind of just view it like that, and so I have thus stopped caring, thus my opinions about this have nothing to do with the MCU anymore. Especially because the MCU has also just not released some good stuff. Barring Moon Knight and Miss Marvel, which we will talk about later, but let's finish talking on Morbius. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, obviously, we didn't go see it again. <laughs> yeah, no, Sovereign did try and get me to go watch it again in theaters. He uh, did try, <laughs> to which I pro- promptly said no. Because, no, I gave it a fucking two. Why would I watch it again? Why the fuck would I watch it again? I thought it was dog shit. Why would I want to spend more money watching a dog shit movie? Mind you, it's only like an hour and a half long, so it's not a huge time investment. But no, I'm not going to go watch it again. You gotta embrace the memes. Embrace them. This is why he's a degenerate. Look at where we are now. That same mindset is why this thing even got a re-release to begin with. See, the thing about it, in my opinion, is that I thought the movie was pretty bad, but I didn't think it was bad enough to warrant memes about how bad it was. See, the whole thing, like, and I've heard it explained pretty well, the whole thing about the meme of Morbius is that it's such an empty movie that you can just insert whatever you want and it'd still be funny. Like, you could say, oh, he says the quote, he has the line, and it's just not in the movie, but the movie is so, like, so much full of dead air that like you can say anything and it's like yes that happened that happened in the movie and it'd be funny but the thing is is that now it's most definitely gonna happen in the sequel which we know is coming did you see jared leto tweeted out what time it is oh yeah no that killed the memes that killed out what time it is and everyone and their collective mother responded morbin time and and um no no no. see i've actually seen a lot of a different response i've seen people attack him for for trying to get in on the joke but see my problem is is why the fuck are you attacking someone for what is ostensibly a meme about him No, like, I don't fault him for getting in on it. Like, it's a meme about him, and he's taking that shit in stride. What, he's supposed to be a fucking bitch about it? No. He's a fucking multi-millionaire. Will I have more money than any of these soy chuggers? He's gonna get in on this meme, and it doesn't fucking matter. But I do think this move... I do think not only the fact that the movie is a financial success, but I also think because of the memes, Morbius 2 is most certainly coming. I mean, it kind of has to with the sequel bait. We said that about The Amazing Spider-Man. 
No, no, I said that's a reason why it would flop. No, no, what I'm saying, when I mean we, not like us two, but like fans in general. Oh, no, I never believed that. Oh, no, no, no. No, no I believed it was going to flop. No, so many people said, oh, Amazing Spider-Man 3. Look at all the sequel hooks that were in Amazing Spider-Man 2. They have to follow up on it. Morbius had only one. The Amazing Spider-Man had like ten. They were trying way too hard. But see, that's the thing. The fact that you believe one is enough to do, is enough exactly what people were thinking back then. Yeah, fair. So, um, Morbius 2 is most certainly coming, and um, I am not looking forward to it. I actually think we're actually going to get a hint to Morbius 2 in El Muerto. Either that or, or an establishment of the Sinister Six. One yeah. or the other. Which, to be honest, I kind of don't want El Muerto to join the Sinister Six because in his two comic issue run yes only two comic book issues his last reference was um he was no longer being hunted by tony stark during civil war because he decided to join the side of registration yes the last time el muerto was ever referenced in the mcu not in the mcu in marvel comics was during the original run for Civil War in 06. Oh, don't even make me uh, think about uh, Civil War. Because looking back on the MCU Civil War, it is not what it could have been. It's not what it could have been. But, as I was going to say, I don't want you Elmer's... Al- you could always do Civil War 2. Kill yourself. In ah. Roblox. In Roblox, Switch. In Roblox. Huh? Because we all love that storyline, right? We love that storyline, right, guys? Right? I'm oh, done. I want you to. I I honestly want you to go home. Get in your bathtub. Get the water to the top, and then take your beloved toaster, plug it into the wall, and jump in the bathtub with it, in Roblox. See, this is why I can't talk about Morbius on stream anymore. Yes! This is exactly why! <laughs> See, why can't every stream just be, let's meme about, let's do a Morbius meme review for 10 hours straight? Why can't we do that? I hate you. <laughs> but I was actually gonna say, I don't want El Muerto to potentially join the Sinister Six, because in his two comic book issues that he did actually be, he was actually in, he doesn't actually hate Spider-Man. And he actually is actually just a massive J. Jonah Jameson fanboy. And see, here's the other thing. Venom and Morbius aren't even, like, villains in the Sony-verse right now. Yeah, that's the thing. They're not even villains. Like, Venom ostensibly is just the lethal protector and anti-hero. And Morbius is just... I didn't kill anyone! Well, like, at this point, we don't know what's gonna happen to him because like, he just refuses to kill people. Like, Morbius's whole shtick was... The entire movie was, I didn't kill anyone. Which is a lie. Okay, actually, no. It wasn't I didn't kill anyone. It was more like, I didn't kill people in America. No, see, here's the thing. They were mercenaries, so it was okay to kill them. No, no, no. No, what I meant, what I more meant was that everyone that was killed in the mainland of America was done entirely by Lucian and not by Morbius. Yeah. And that's kind of his whole thing was that I didn't kill these people. I didn't kill them. You memed this movie. 
But yeah, I kind of don't want El Muerto to join the Sinister Six, considering his original comic book run. It was more about him. It was more actually just about the culture of being a luchador, and um, the honor of like luchadorism being like a hereditary thing. And obviously, there's some there's like superhero shit. But he doesn't hate Spider Man. He just thought that he would be proving himself if he beat someone as well known as Spider Man. Hmm. And that's really his story. His story is basically just. Um, so I didn't want to become a luchador like my family did. And as a result, my father was murdered because of my cowardice. So I was given, uh, 10 years to, um, prove that I'm brave. And so how I'm going to do that is I'm going to train and then I'm going to fight someone well-known. Um, then J. Jonah Jameson happened and he's like, Hey, that's a guy. He doesn't like Spider-Man and I like that guy. So I'll battle Spider-Man and unmask him and that'll prove my bravery. Oh god, that could have worked so much better in the MCU, considering how much of a anagram that J. Jonah Jameson is for Alex Jones. Yeah, that could have worked so much better in the MCU. Oh my god. Honestly, the more that I think, the more that I've thought about it, I'm like, you know, El Muerto would have been a perfect character in a Spider-Man, an MCU Spider-Man-based anthology series. Yeah, no, because he could have been radicalized by J. Jonah Jameson, and that would have been perfect. Wow. No, this this idea could have worked. Yeah, the more the more that I thought about it now, the more I'm like, you know what? For two issues, El Muerto actually has enough to make a compelling story, just not a movie that he's solo carrying. Yeah. But if he had like a two parter, like a two part episode special in a Spider Man anthology series where he was like the lead anti villain like anti hero played by Bad Bunny, I think it would work. Yeah, no, it, just not in the Sony-verse, in the MCU, where we haven't established J. Jonas Jameson, who could potentially radicalize this character. Yeah, and, like, his whole thing, like, especially because when El Muerto is introduced in the comics, is that it's J. Jonah... So, actually, how it works is that J. Jonah Jameson was, um... This is during a time where J. Jonah Jameson was, like, singing the praises of Spider-Man because he was convinced by Peter Parker that his son was Spider-Man, Yes, that was a storyline. It happened. It's a thing. But anyways, um, uh, for El Muerto saved J. Jonah Jameson because there was a criminal who J. Jonah Jameson blasted, and the criminal lost everything, and so now he's going to kill J. Jonah Jameson because he lost everything. Man, wow, this really could have worked with Alex Jones. <laughs> I'm telling you. This is a brilliant idea. Do you know what else I just realized? What? We have spent nearly half an hour talking about this. It's only been 20 minutes. It's only been 20 minutes. Oh yeah, we started stream five minutes early because of the whole shit. Yeah. But anyways, um, wow, this would have worked really well with the Alex Jones portrayal. Yeah, and considering we don't have an established uh, J. Jonah Jameson in the Sony-verse, like, we know that, like, the Daily Bugle is a thing in that universe, just we don't have J.K. Simmons, so... And also, the Daily Bugle that we see is the San Francisco variant, not the New York one. Yeah. So it probably wouldn't even have him. Yeah. Especially considering, for some reason, like, half of the Sony-verse takes place in California. Well, I mean, considering it's... The only two Sonyverse movies prior to this were Venom, who is in California most of the time nowadays. It, which is 
Also very strange. Why'd they set it in California? Because New York would have carried too much baggage. Think about it. When Sony was initially doing the Sony Universe of Marvel characters, um, they wanted to like pretend it was connected to the MCU, but not fully connected to the MCU. Right. And right. having it placed in New York would have caused way too many plot holes right out the gate. So having it in California, an area within the MCU that doesn't have much heroes outside of the literal runaways, yeah. And the runaways are more in the L.A. area, not even San Francisco. San Francisco is completely untouched in the MCU currently. Yeah. Because what was it? Um, Iron Man 3 took place in Malibu, right? Yeah. Iron yeah. Man 3 was in Malibu. Runaways takes place in L.A. Um, so, yeah, it was actually pretty smart of them to do San Francisco yeah. for what they were planning. Yeah, that is fair. That is fair. Yeah, if they did New York, it would have caused way too many problems. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Anyways, so let's let's cut off the... We're done talking about this let's shit. Cut the, let's cut it at the tail right here. Yes, we're done talking about this now shit. Now let's talk about good Marvel stuff. Let's go Let's go into Miss Marvel. Yes. Miss Marvel, in my opinion, was phenomenal and had the strongest opening episode of all Disney Plus Marvel, Marvel shows up until this point. Now, and in I... fact... The only two shows that rival it in terms of opening, or the only two Marvel shows that rival it in terms of best episode one is episodes one of Daredevil season one and Jessica Jones season one, who, in my opinion, have the top two spots. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. So, of course, people will bring up WandaVision, which I did before the stream. But you saying you're saying that as a collective, episode one and two created like the yeah. In my opinion, One Division has the strongest opening arc of all Disney Plus shows because you put episode one and two together. One Division is on the whole stronger than Miss um, Marvel, especially because what One Division's opening two was what like two hours long. Yeah. Meanwhile, Miss Marvel's episode one was only fifty. Was it fifty? I felt like it was much shorter than that. No, it's fifty minutes. Yeah, yeah, no, you're right. So, I feel like, as a whole, I don't think episode two of Miss Marvel is going to touch with a combined might of episode one and two WandaVision. But if we look at every episode one, and only episode one, on their own merits, I think Miss Marvel blows everything out of the water that isn't Daredevil season one and Jessica Jones season one. Yeah. Yeah. So, I want to say up front, I actually heavily connected with this show quite a bit. Same. I actually did too, which is because, if you did not know, both Salvador and I are the first generation children of immigrants. Oh, so you actually caught on to that too. Yes. So I'm. So let's just go ahead and just dive right into that. Obviously, the biggest thing that would connect is just the, uh, the cultural disconnect between generations. Yeah. Yeah, no. I'm so glad you caught on to that. <laughs> yeah, no. Sovereign and I are both first-generation Americans. Our parents are immigrants. And so this is something that actually we can heavily relate to, even though we are not Pakistani nor Muslim. We can relate to the struggles of being the younger generation that is Americanized versus your family, who yeah. is still more in tune with the culture of their previous country. Yeah. The only thing we cannot relate to is how uh, less progressed uh, 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 countries uh, treat women. Because well, I can, because I also have a younger sister 
who ostensibly goes through some of the similar things that Kamala... Kamala. Fuck. Yeah, Swear no. to God, this is going to confuse me. <laughs> Kamala, what she's going through, I see within my own sister. Yeah, yeah. Because at the end of the day, in the show, like it, it's very obvious that they are actively hostile to women who decide to go their own path rather than sticking to tradition. And in fact, like uh, Kamala deviates from that by saying, oh, she's traveling around? Good for her. And then her, uh, her, her, relatives, her relatives like scorn for, for that hard. Yeah. By the way, um, that is most definitely not her actual aunt. It is more like a colloquial, a colloquial calling like the f- family friend auntie or uncle. Oh, so it's just like Spanish culture, yeah. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's pretty much in every immigrant culture. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, like it's the same thing within my culture, same thing in your culture. I for I did not believe for a second that woman was her actual aunt. I believe that it's uh, just a family be- friend because it looked like like the social circle that they have because it's because I wouldn't say insular is the right like term but very con- like a very connected based on yeah. like similar circumstances yeah like it's obvious they've created a community in that space because yeah like, and i mean like you, there, there are pakistani like restaurants and stores yeah. and i mean they even made a reference to the fact that if um uh if a halal guy has existed that um they would charge you for sauce because you know five guys yeah, <laughs> which, <laughs> which yes. I will I will admit I laughed more than I intended at the halal guys jokes because it's just the first of all I would just like to say that the double meaning of everything in this show from the perspective of someone raised by immigrants has been astounding. <laughs> I really love it, especially because this takes place in Jersey City, which is quite literally very close to New York City, which is where I was born and spent um, the beginning of my childhood in. So this is just even better for me. Yeah, yeah. Also, just on the note, I just want to give a middle finger to Zaxby's for charging for sauce. This joke is directed at you, you did like Zaxby's, and um, Zaxby's makes good food, but they are horribly overpriced, which is why whenever I decide to go to fast food, there's a Zaxby's and a McDonald's right next to each other, and nine times out of ten, I'm going to McDonald's. Yeah, no, nine times out of ten, I go to Zaxby's. <laughs> yes, but I would, oh. I would go to Zaxby's more if Zaxby's was not overpriced as fuck. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, getting back on topic, I do d- definitely want to touch on like the examples of which the cultural disconnect is shown between generations because it's shown pretty well. Yeah, like, like the one scene I really wanted to talk about was when she's like inspecting like her costume in the mirror, like she's like her pants for her Captain Marvel cosplay isn't tight, but it's not loose enough. So that even though by our regular Americanized standards, it's just tights, but not like form-fitting tights, from the perspective of a more like um, conservative Muslim family, those tights are still too tight because they still show the form of your body. Yeah. Which I found a very interesting detail how she like internally is dissatisfied with the tights despite the fact that from an american perspective they don't look tight at all but if you look at it from a more immigrant perspective coming from a conservative religion it's not the tightness it is the fact that it can show the form of your body to begin with yeah yeah and 
I just want to like touch on like, because ultimately at the end of the day, what happens with a lot of like immigrant children is the desire to conform to an American like tradition. Yes. So, a bit of a backstory. My mother actually raised me to know only Spanish, and that really hurt me in the butt when I first went into kindergarten. Thankfully, I learned English within a week. Yeah. Because technically, I was raised on Spanglish, because I'm like, oh, like I'm only half Hispanic, but at the same time, like primarily what was spoken in the house was Spanish, and so still is to this day. To an extent, yeah. I say, and I say <laughs> this, I say this with confidence because I literally go to Sovereign's house a lot, and so I, I yes, they do speak Spanish still. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. But at the end of the day, the desire to conform to American society is something that is a very strong trait, and I'm, I'm guessing not just within myself, but many people who share that circumstance as well. Yeah, and it's not just conform to American society; it's conforming to American society without the feeling of compromising your heritage or betraying your family and because your at the family's end, culture. Because at the end of the day, let's face it, um, the strong ties to your culture is like what makes you, you. Yeah. And also, America has no culture. But that aside, <laughs> but that aside... Listen, listen, no. America, <laughs> America does have culture. America does have culture. Um... <laughs> Does it, though? I was going to say, I was actually, the best reference to American culture I've seen was, I was watching a British YouTuber talk about Street Fighter V, follow me on this, he was talking about non-playable characters, and one of them was a police officer who has shit frame data, and he said this, (laughs) and he said this, he said this, unlike Americans, this is the first time, he's like, unlike my American, he's like, this will be the first time for my American fans to see a police officer actually get punished because he had such shit frame data. And that is ostensibly to say that American culture is the overreach of all of our governmental and justice apparatuses and its crippling, crushing boot of authoritarianism. Okay. Weird tangent aside, but that is American culture, which we will get to later on in our politics segments. Yeah. And actually does kind of tie in to the end credit scene of this episode, which is literally as soon as Kamala discovers her powers and is now actually finding something unique about her that allows her to stand out, it is not lost on me that the government immediately wants to bring her in. It was not lost on me that the fact that a minority who finally discovers something special about them is immediately sent to be crushed by American, by the American government. Not lost on me. Oh God, if they find America. Oh no. They won't find America. Because America's not in America. She's in Camartage. Yeah. But now I do want America in this show. Oh, no. Yeah, definitely. Because based on, like, photos that uh, Iman Delani and uh, 
Zochio Gomez have taken together, it seems like they probably do have a future performing together. They probably do in what will probably be the Young Avengers, but Most that, that, that's that's far that's far in the future. Right we've now. already gone enough tangents about the future of the MCU. But... Yes, but it was not lost in me that the end credits of this of this episode was um, an immigrant finally finding power with America, only to be crushed by the American government very soon after. See, not I... lost on me. See. I'm so used to the MCU saving their end credit scenes for episodes like five or six, so I didn't even see it. You didn't see the end credit scene? I did not. I the MCU never has end credit scenes in episode one. Okay, so so the end credit scene for this episode is quite literally. So you know how she's at Avengers Con, which yep. we will talk about because Avengers Con is hilarious. But <laughs> um, you know how she's at Avengers Con and she uses her powers and people are taking videos. Yeah. So Damage Control, the Department of Damage Control, first seen back in Spider Man Homecoming. Yeah. They get a hold of the video and someone goes up to Agent Cleary and shows him, and he says, "Let's bring her in." Agent Cleary is the same damage control agent we saw back in No Way Home. So, the one that everyone thought was Matt Murdock. So is the D- DODC, is that like a comics uh, yes. agency? Okay. In the comics, damage control was something set up by Kingpin and Tony Stark to clean up all of the damage happening in New York City because New York is canonically in the Marvel Universe a hotbed for superhuman activities given Avengers Tower mansion are there uh the baxter building is there um kingpin runs hell's kitchen through there uh the punisher is there daredevil's there luke cage iron fist um um a metric fuck ton of shit happens in new york all the fucking time so kingpin and tony stark came together to create damage control ah in the comics they're not a governmental organization last i checked but in the mcu they are uh so you could so we could potentially see them connect to the Kingpin in some future uh, IP. I doubt they're going to go that direction. You think you don't? Given think the fact that we saw that the formation of Damage Control. Actually, no, you're right. That would make more sense before he revealed himself in season two of Daredevil. Yes, because remember, the formation of Damage Control is something we only saw so, so I would, as a result. I would of... assume in the comics they did that while like Kingpin was like forming himself to be like a politician like he did in season two of daredevil uh it was more so the fact that kingpin was famous and popular with a lot of money and he loves new york city and um tony stark is um famous and popular with a lot of money and loves new york city and so um kingpin approached him with this idea because um you can't rule new york city if there is no new york city and uh you can't save and you can't save new york city if there is no new york city so okay, so it's more like right before he revealed himself, kind of like he was still. No, well, in the comics, Damage Control was established long after Kingpin was a mainstay Spider-Man and Daredevil villain. Okay. Anyway, moving on. Yeah. No. In the comics, Daredevil. In the comics, Damage Control was established while Iron Man was still a publicly known superhero and Kingpin was still a publicly known supervillain. I just don't think it's public knowledge within the within the Marvel Comics universe that it is a joint collaboration between the two. Okay. But yes, in the MCU, it makes more sense that this would be something established by Tony Stark alone because Daredevil season one takes place after the beginning, uh, after the ending of Avengers one. Okay. So it's entirely going to be something set up by. Um, Tony Stark, and for the foreseeable future, I don't think we're ever going to see Kingpin interact with it in a meaningful way. Okay. But, 
Uh, did you hear that um, the uh, studio actually had so much fun making the Avengers Con set that they actually want to do a real one? <laughs> the Avengers Con? Yeah. Yes, I did see that. Which is actually pretty funny because Avengers Con in and of itself is a reference to the very shitty Avengers video game that came out a year and a half ago. Because Wait. there was Miss um, Marvel in the Avengers video game got her powers through something with, through her powers at um, an A-Day party, which was Avengers Day. Ah. So, yeah. Now, of course, one of the biggest controversies that have come out before the release of this um, show was the changing of her powers. So, so I like it. I actually have a theory. Go on. So, and I feel like I'm going crazy because no one has mentioned it. The Bengals have the Kree Star Force logo on it. I did not catch that. The Bengals literally have the Kree Star Force logo on it. So, in my opinion, I think what's actually happening is that there's Terrigen mist inside those bangles. Yeah, probably. There's literally, like, no one has brought this up. There is a Kree Star Force logo on the bangles. And given everything that um, Ka Kamala's mom has said throughout this episode talking about how like her grandmother was very similar to her i think that this is just a family of inhumans like through her mother's side inhumans actually hmm no i don't want to go that far my original thought was like oh what if her grandmother was a cree but eh, it doesn't really no i don't sense. think she's a cree i i legitimately because the one thing that leads me towards that is like oh your grandmother was very in the cloud she was always uh gazing into space but i feel like that's more metaphorical than literal yes um let me see if i can pull up a picture to show sovereign uh, okay yeah because a lot of people have been making, saying that it's a reference to the quantum bands. A lot of ref people are saying it's a reference to, like, um, like different Kree things. But um, look at this shit. Oh, my God. It's difficult to find. No, I found it. It's just, like, very hard to look. This is the Kree Star Force logo! Vaguely, yeah. It's the Kree. And the reason being is, if you remember back in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which is based on the comics, the Kree, the Kree, in their war with the Skrulls, experimented on Earthlings to create an army of super soldiers that they could use against the Skrulls, which created the Inhumans. So... Honestly, I would be very happy if they brought back the Inhumans, because, honestly, like, the Inhumans have not been treated, treated well, aside from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. No, so what I was saying is that I legitimately believe that this is actually, she's an inhuman. She's an inhuman the entire time, and that what's actually happening is that this is something empowered by Kree technology or the Terrigen Mists, and that the Bengals are going to break, and she's going to be imbued with all the Terrigen Mist around her, and bam, she's actually going to get it. And my theory is even stronger considering that when she first uses the Bengals' power, it's a mist that surrounds her like an aura. Yeah, yeah. I think she's an inhuman. I think the Bengals are Terrigen Mist. 
And the fact that the Kree Star Force logo is front and center on these Bengals convinces me more than ever that this, that she is going to be an Inhuman, especially because the Marvels involves Captain Marvel, half Kree. Come on, people. This is my theory. She's, our, she's an Inhuman. She's actually, and they're actually saving her real superpower of enlarging her actual limbs for when the bangles break and she's imbued with Terrigen Mist. Yeah. Yeah. If, if they give any opportunity to make her an Inhuman, that would probably be the best way. And again, and, I want to see them back in the MCU. So. Especially because, um, because, do you know what that also solidifies it for me? The fact that they not only put Black Bolt in multiverse of madness but they brought and some mount to play black bolt in multiverse of madness yeah i think that more and they explicitly reference the fact of the terrigen mists in multiverse of madness yeah which that, that, me, that yeah. in its own was like like amazing that they even like brought back terrigen at all so that to me says that kamala's Kamala is going to be... You are slipping up so much on that. <laughs> Listen, after hey. after having to correct everything given when she was running for VP... Hey, if if the world goes properly, we'll get a different Democrat, or Democratic president. You have to won't have to worry about that anymore. That's not happening and you fucking know it. Do you really think they'd succeed again? Let's be honest here. With... Who the fuck else? I'm just being optimistic. I want someone else because no one else can win. But we can save that. Talk well, we'll save that for politics. But yes, I believe she is an inhuman, and I am going to run with this theory until the very end. This is my Mephisto. I believe that she is an inhuman. Except, yeah, it's your Mephisto theory, except with less crack pipes. Yes, because okay, in the <laughs> in defense of all Mysterio of, of all Mephisto theorists, Wanda's kids have ostensibly been tied to Mephisto from their very inception. When Wanda, when Billy and Tommy were first conceived of in the comics, they were quite literally pieces of Mephisto's soul that Wanda turned into children. So, Mephisto theorists weren't necessarily wrong in expecting him to appear. The kids are tied to his existence. Anyway. But yeah, I think that she's an inhuman. And I think this is actually, I think the reference to how her, also, one other side tangent, I think she has ADHD. You think so? Yes. I could see it. Everyone that I have known that has ADHD acts exactly like she does in terms of how easily distracted she is, how she's just constantly in her own world where she's hyper, not hi, I mean, not hyper-focused, but she's focused and she's just in her own world. I think she has ADHD. Mm -hmm. It's very subtle, but um, growing up with someone that has ADHD, yeah. Okay. I think she has ADHD. And I think that's actually why the talk about the grandmother is actually a double entendre. I think is that, one, her grandmother is also an inhuman, but also ADHD came from her grandmother. I always forget that that can be passed. Mm -hmm. I think that she has ADHD, and I think her grandmother had ADHD. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Is that 
now excuse my ignorance on that is that something that like can be like super like repressed and do you think like her mom had it too yes yeah that see because i'm thinking of more like could her mom have had it too no her mom knows definitely had it too and is just trying to of like is so hyper uh like attentive to her daughter because yeah. she had the exact same problem and doesn't and thinks of it as like a like social or not social a personal failing to have those flaws yes and i think that ties into the fact that uh, kamala is an immigrant because um for better or worse a lot of immigrant families do see m- mental illnesses as an extension of personal failure Exactly. And so it would not surprise me that Kamala's ADHD has been undiagnosed and that her mother has also had undiagnosed ADHD like her mother before her. But the difference being that Kamala's mother has pushed it down significantly in an effort to succeed. Yeah. Because um, one thing that I do find interesting is that this is a more modern take of the immigrant family where the mother is the head of the household and more of the arbiter the arbitrator of the traditional family roles yeah no of any like and of any like story talking about minority groups i've related to this the most despite the fact that we're from completely different like parts of the world which i think is the role of the mother yeah. i very much felt more than anything that kamala's mother reminds me a lot of my own mother yeah. And Kamala's father reminds me of my own father in the sense that, like, the mom is, like, the head. The mom is the arbiter of tradition. The mom is the one that is in charge of everything. Yes. I felt that that is something that is grossly overlooked in a lot of media depicting immigrant families, especially immigrant families with repressive attitudes, is that they kind of frame it as it's just a patriarchy, which it is, but they seem to lose the fact that the patriarchy is not just perpetrated by men, but by women as yeah, well. Yeah, people forget like how much it's reinforced by the matriarchy. It, by, the, by the matriarch of the family. Or matriarch, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's reinforced by the matriarch of the family, so much so that the patriarch of the family actually is given more leeway in pulling away from patriarchal duties. Yeah. Because if you've noticed throughout this episode, Yusuf, Kamala's father, he is, one, more Americanized. Yeah. But two, he is also far more laid back about their religion. Remember, at the beginning, he straight up says, you don't need to pray so much. He says that to her brother. Yeah. Like, you don't need to pray so much. Which... In a le- in a lesser written series, you would not have had that scene. Yeah. In a lesser written series, you would have had a stereotypically like overbearing patriarchal Muslim father, like <clears throat> either praising the son for praying so much or criticizing him for not praying enough. Yes. Now, uh, I do have two other side tangents I want to go on first, or not really tangents, but I do want to praise the editing because I mean, mind you. This had a very, like, unique editing style. Like, it used wipes and um, split-screen very effectively, I believe. The only one thing is, like, the split-screen between, like, the counselor and Kamala herself. I felt that was a weird decision. That was very weird. It was very weird because... Like, I liked, I liked the idea of, like, the conversation splitting, but when the heads combined, I was like, what was the purpose to this they, editing they didn't, choice? Because they didn't seem like foils to each other in any way. It, yeah, it wasn't a foil. It's, like, more, like him pointing out stuff that she needs to work on not 
Yeah. Like, I, I found that decision very weird, but aside from that one Every, instance, everything else, everything was, else was, was really good. I, I and love also, the animation as well. Yeah. And also, I want, one thing I want to point out. I was 100% correct about the tone of this show. Yes. This was Disney Channel original movie vibes to the max. Yes. It was, it's actually, in my opinion, the perfected version of what Disney Channel original movies should have been. No, this is, this is like the perfected version of Sky High. Actually, I wouldn't say Sky High because I'm trying to find, there's a better example in terms of a Disney Channel original movie. There is a better example and its name is escaping me right now. Oh, uh, see, this is a part of <clears throat> media that I have absolutely zero knowledge on because that is like uh, listen, 20 years in the past. Listen, I watched <laughs> a fuck ton of Disney Channel original movies. No, the only one I can remember is Sky High. I'm going to be no. perfectly yeah, honest no, with Sky you. Yeah, no, Sky High. No, this is... <laughs> God, I keep forgetting it, but this is but a like perfected not... version of the formula that yeah. was put in place with yeah. Disney yeah. Channel original movies like Lemonade Mouth and Sky High and things like that. Yeah. Like, I wouldn't say Sky High in, like, concept, but in tone. Yes. In tone. Oh, in tone? No, I, sure. didn't, I didn't mean in concept. I meant oh, in tone. Yeah, in tone, it definitely gave me Sky High vibes. Um, it did remind me a bit of Lemonade Mouth as well with um, the um, very, like, creative yet somewhat repressed character, like the main girl in Lemonade Mouth. Um this was no this was most definitely a perfected version of disney channel original movies and i like it because for as much shit as people gave disney channel original movies disney channel original movies actually did one thing really well which was that it was actually able to relate to its target audience perfectly oh yeah without a doubt like I a mean, lot like... of people shit on its writing and its world building and so on and so forth and i mean whatever but when it came to actually writing compelling stories that related to the target audience, Disney Channel original movies hit that shit out of the park every time. Yeah, and like, they do take up quite a bit of people's like media like uh, like consumption when they're young. Yeah. Um, oh, this reminds me of My Babysitter's a Vampire. I have not seen that. Uh, My Babysitter Vampire was a Disney Channel original movie that then spun off into a Disney Channel original show that ran for two seasons. It is criminally underrated, and I hate the fact that it got canceled. It was amazing. I loved every minute of it. Did the shipping wars end up taking up a big part of the season two discussion? Yes, it did, but still, it was a phenomenal show, and I am mad about the fact that it was canceled all these years later. Bring back My Babysitter's a Vampire, please. I am begging you, even though the actors probably don't even talk to each other anymore. This reminds me a lot of My Babysitter's a Vampire in so, terms of um, a perfected version of the Disney Channel original movie. But all in all, I am pleasantly surprised with this show. This is really good. Yeah, I... I I'm actually willing to give this an 8. I'm not going to lie. Just because... Oh, yeah, I, no, I'll give it an 8 out of 10. It was amazing. Also, we finally got an understanding of why the world knows so much about the battle for Earth. Oh, I, that's another thing I wanted to bring up. You know the meme, you know the one I'm thinking about. I want a description of the entire MCU, but described by this man. I, we might actually have a chance in the next Ant-Man movie. We might have a chance in Quantum Mania to See. actually get Michael Pena describing all of the events of the MCU described by him. We yes. have our chance! No, we do have our chance, and I do actually really like the fact that... Um, um... But the fact that Scott Lang has a podcast works. It works, and it makes sense. So much sense, actually, why so much stuff is public knowledge. 
Yeah. Because it actually kind of reminds me because the creator of Miss Marvel talked about how there are other podcasts that potentially could be out there, such as a Hulk podcast. And most funnily enough, um, <laughs> the Blade and Deadpool podcast called Steak and Chimichangas. Oh my god! Oh my god! But steak as S T A K E. No, I I caught on to that immediately. Yes, the Blade and Deadpool podcast, steak and chimichangas. Oh my god, that's actually brilliant. Uh, Which, to be honest, it makes sense that they would have podcasts because this is um this actually reminds me. Like, seeing that Scott had a podcast and the potential of the Hulk having a podcast and stuff kind of reminds me of the fact that in the NBA, a lot of them have podcasts in between their jobs. Like, Draymond Green is the biggest trash talker in all of the NBA, and he also has a podcast that he ostensibly uses as just a bigger outlet to trash talk other teams. (laughs) It's kind of crazy. He's in the NBA Finals right now, still talking shit. Well, then going on his podcast and still talking shit. <clears throat> but it reminds me of how Draymond Green has a podcast, how J.J. Reddick has a podcast. It kind of reminds me of like that level of like celebrity stardom. Yeah. We're able to do what you do, but you also get a podcast for it. But like, I, like my immediate thought was not like, oh, it makes sense why everyone uh, like knows so much about the Marvel characters. I'm like, this is our chance, people. This is it. We, we have a road to get what we want. Yes. We must take it. Also, um, I love her YouTube channel. Oh, yeah. Uh, Slothmouth Productions. And um, did you see the Captain Marvel that she has? Oh, remind me what it was. Um, it's like the true story of Captain Marvel, but the thumbnail says, I was bitten by a radioactive feminist. Oh my god, this shit is amazing. This show is so fucking good. It's so good. I was beaten by a radioactive feminist. This story, the true story of Captain Marvel. Oh my god, the editors had so much fun with this episode. Oh yeah, especially with like... Oh my god, I did not think they could take the baggage from Gamergate and use it in this show. Oh yeah, my no, god. No, no. That's I was great. Bit, I was bitten by a radioactive <laughs> feminist, which is ostensibly not just a reference to everything regarding Captain Marvel and Brie Larson, but is also a joke about Spider-Man. It's a Spider-Man <laughs> joke, too, which he, which makes it even better. There's the Ant-Man and the Wasp um, vacation in Paris. Which I believe 100% happened in-universe. Yeah. And also I love how she's like, and now for my two-part saga about why I believe Thor is a gamer. Which Which is true! true. (laughs) And also, you know Newbaster69 is a canonical character that we have met before? Really? So Newbaster69 is a GameStop employee. Oh my god, you're gonna bring that up? Oh my god. Yes. No, I know what you're talking about. I was hoping you would reference something else that would counteract that, but no. No, 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 no. That is the the canon. Newbaster69 is the GameStop employee that we saw the ads with Anthony Mackie with. Oh, I hate that so much. Yes. I hate that. Yes. (laughs) And so, my uh, crack theory, I believe that Kamala 
has met new master 69 and he has talked about at length online about how he is 100 confident he has played against thor in fortnite and how thor is a salty bitch oh you mean not in person okay yeah no over fortnite okay no, i mean I... like she met him no 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 i believe that she is red like the shit that new master 69 has put out on the internet where he swears on the fact that thor is a salty gamer bitch in fortnite <laughs> oh my god yeah actually this is the this is probably some of the best fun i've had talking about a show because yeah no, because this show is actually good yeah, no, like, like this, this, this shit, rivals this, Moon Knight. This shit creeped up on us too. Like it completely took us like by surprise last week when we we're like, "Holy fuck, this comes out this week!" And the, just like the connect, like the ability to connect with the show is actually like was really surprising. Actually, is like yeah, I've kind of feel like how a lot of Egyptian fans felt when they first saw um, the Scarlet Scarab show up in um, yeah. the finale of Moon Knight. Yeah, like this, like, is... even though it's not like our culture, it's still like something that we've had to deal with as a result of growing up as first generation uh citizens yeah and i just loved every aspect of it i love kamala's family i i even love her mom because like i can see where her mom is coming from like at the end of of the day her mom still loves her it's just she grew up in a different culture wants to keep that and keep it going through her daughter and she's afraid that like her daughter is going to become corrupted and like you know, be hurt. at the end of the day, she's afraid that she's gonna be hurt more than anything else. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Also, um, Bruno is hilarious. I love him. So, I was actually kind of surprised, like how much like Muslim influence was in the soundtrack. I was expecting yeah. like bits and pieces, but no, I was not expecting it to be fully incorporated. With oh, the it's intro. fully incorporated. What is it? Um, like the intro has it. The ending has it. The ending it. is actually the first Pakistani rapper. Her name, I believe, is Riza. She's the first Pakistani female rapper. Yeah. And she does the end credits, which the end credits, which is actually pretty funny, because in the end credits we also see a trust a bro truck, meaning that the tracksuit mafia is still active oh, right God. now. Oh God. The tracksuit mafia not only <laughs> is still active right now, but they are active in New Jersey. <laughs> Oh, God. And Which is a reference to, of course, the New York, New Jersey Mafia, which this is a massive stretch, and I know it's more about rooted in real life, but um, this is also, in my opinion, a reference to The Sopranos. Because The Sopranos takes place entirely in New Jersey. Yeah. Oh, God. I, I really do hope we see more of the tracksuit Mafia, because... They, I don't they, think they'll show up in this show. Not in this show, but... But I hope we see them more in general. But the well, fact that we'll we... Probably, even, we'll probably see them in Echo. Yeah, but the fact that we even saw the, them in this episode to begin with is actually pretty fucking funny. Because at the end of the day, like, even though Hawkeye was kind of a mediocre show, they, they were still funny. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, also, Avengers Con was amazing. It is everything I expected it to be. Um, it is pretty funny how Camp Lehigh went from um, top secret World War II base to um, top secret um, SSR base to smoldering pile of rubble that formerly housed a Nazi AI to nerd convention. <laughs> <sighs> but I think that just about wraps up our opinion. Um, pleasantly the... surprised by this one, honestly, because... It was really good. Um, I can't wait to see more of um, Zoe and uh, Nakia. 
I think they are probably going to play more of a role in the coming episodes, as um, I believe Zoe is going to become friends. Just in, in standard Disney Channel original movie fashion, you have that one popular <laughs> character that was friends with the main character when they were kids, but got popular in high school. But then, after the preceding I, events of the main plot, that popular kid is going to be friends with the main character. That is Zoe 100%. I told you, and I was 100% right about were, the vibes of this show. You were 100% I, I, my right. My predictions were absolutely correct. Yes. And I am very happy with All that. that we are missing is we are missing a the very hot, like, new guy that Kamala is going that, to... That be. was shown in the trailers. Come on. Yeah. Come on. That's yeah, in the trailers. Yeah, I know. His name, is, his name is Cameron. Or Cam... Not Cameron. Cameron. Okay, that makes more sense. Cameron. Cameron. K-A-M-R-A-N. Cameron. Okay, that sounds more like like a Muslim name because that yeah. that's a bit too. No, no, his name is Cameron. Yeah, his name is Cameron. Um, but is it just me or did it look like Kamala and Bruno were gonna kiss this episode? Nah, the I, way, I didn't see it. The way that they were looking at each other before they showed off the power the power gauntlets makes me think that like they were going to kiss, but in the weirdest way. Not romantically. No, I, I don't. Like, I don't see them romantically, but for some reason, I felt that the connection that they had with each other is, like, just pure love. Like, they like seeing the other to be really happy. Because there's several scenes in this episode where one will look at the other when they're really happy and smile from just seeing them being happy. And so part of me felt like they were going to kiss, not because they're, like, romantically involved with each other, but because it just was, like, a natural extension of the fact that they like seeing the other happy all the time. And they encourage each other to be happy. Because... Being being just newly introduced to these characters, I can't make that conclusion yet. So... I would have to see how they progress as Yeah, but I've been noticing that there's just several scenes where one will look at the other when the other's really happy, and, like, they're just smiling because the other's happy. Like, the biggest scene of this is when Kamala is looking at the Captain Marvel statue, and you just see Bruno turn to her while she's, like, completely mesmerized with a smile on her face, and you just start smiling at her. Yeah. I would probably just have to wait and see how their character arcs go, as yeah. far as that's concerned, because I, I, I can't put that together yet. Yeah. Also, a lesser show would have made Bruno upset that she lost the power gauntlets in the bathroom, but I'm glad they completely skipped over it, and he focused more on, doesn't matter, get on stage! Yeah. And even afterwards... And, and it's he, more he, realistic, too, yeah. Yeah, he's like, get on stage, but then she also just showed off superpowers, and he's now more just like, you have superpowers! <laughs> And was like, fuck the gauntlets. Also, um, the biggest dick move by the bus driver this episode. Uh, we all know how expensive bikes are. But also, um, completely accurate because it's New Jersey, and New Jersey is a shithole, ask Batman. <laughs> Alright, I think that about wraps up all of our thoughts. Yep, um, I would give this an 8 out of 10. It was 10 phenomenal, in my opinion. Um, best opening of like best episode one of any marvel um disney plus show and top three in terms of all marvel shows only behind jessica jones season one and daredevil season one and honestly the fact that it portrayed the um struggles of an of a first uh, generation immigrant child mm -hmm. 
was so well well um, portrayed that we didn't even discuss it before the podcast, and both of us immediately knew when we brought up the one part of the show that stuck out the most. Just yeah, you knew, you knew exactly because, what I was going to bring up. Exactly because it's something that we ourselves have actually lived through, and so seeing it reflected accurately and not as a joke, it was really well put together and that's honestly because we've been ranking a lot of shows sevens with the exception of moon knight like if they keep up this level of quality this in my opinion will be on par with moon knight in terms of quality because as far as i'm concerned like my threshold for a seven and an eight is like for me like my ranking is like from like five to ten it's like ten is like masterpiece nine is um damn near perfect like fantastic like phenomenal no 10 is a masterpiece 9 is groundbreaking 8 is exceptional 7 is pretty good 6 is it's close and then my 5 is average yeah so for me this like breaks enough ground to where i would call it fantastic and give it an 8 yeah same i i cannot wait for the next episode also i love that she uploads every wednesday which is <laughs> not just funny because we upload every Wednesday, but also because the show uploads every Wednesday. That is true. <laughs> it is very funny. Um, one thing that I did actually really like as well that we didn't bring up is how, how much inspiration it has from Into the Spider-Verse in terms of the art style of all the animated sections. Yeah. Yeah, yeah they took heavy influence from Into the Spider-Verse and it really shows. Yeah. Um, also, um, Iman Vellani is beautiful and precious, and we need to protect her. She is a redditor. She is amazing, <laughs> and also she is um, keeping Earth one nine 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 alive, and she is fighting against the tyranny of uh, Kevin Feige's Earth six one six. And I love because six one six makes no sense because it's the main Marvel timeline, it especially makes... because six one six characters have traveled to the MCU. Yes. And it also makes uh, Mysterio's comment all the more stupid. Yeah. It retroactively makes Mysterio's comment more stupid. But also, we know of at least seven characters from the mainline comics that have come to the MCU, which is 616 Loki and the 616 Young Avengers. <sighs> anyway, I think, <laughs> I think I do need to cut off our yes. Miss Marvel discussion because we are just about an hour in. And we still have another show to go through, which I'm going to guarantee you is going to eat up like another 30 minutes. Yeah, so Miss Marvel was amazing. Cannot wait for the next episode. So let's go ahead and just rev right into the next one. Let's go ahead and start talking about episode four of Of Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yep, we are now uh, two-thirds of the way through the series, and right now, quality. This... No, this, this is exactly... Like, remember my complaints about episode two and how episode three rectifies that? Episode 4 keeps the train moving. My opinion is um, this episode, more than anything, is a love letter to Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. Because um, the some of the final levels of Fallen Order takes place on Nur in Castle Inquisitorius, which is where this episode takes place. And there are so many different things that are references to those final levels of Fallen Order. It is amazing. Yeah. I, oh, my, <clears throat> God, my dogs. <laughs> I kind of want to start off with, um, I kind of want to start off with the, like, the frozen tomb scene. So, I don't want to get to that yet because that ties into a wider theory that I have about the rehabilitation of the sequel trilogy, and we are going to get to that. 
Oh man. <laughs> the tomb, uh, the tomb, in my opinion, is a wider reference to the rehabilitation of the sequel trilogy, and yeah. you will understand it when we get there. But I did want to talk about the parallels first uh, between Vader in the back to tank and Obi Wan in the back to tank. That was a really good scene, honestly. Yeah. Because I do like when like either movies or shows show like the um, parallel between the villain and the hero. Yeah, like I think the most obvious one brought up is like uh, Spider Man One, where yeah. like the first ten minutes show them going through the same part of the plot pretty much. Yeah. Like they go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and they go through the exact same like like character progression and it's great like this is like while condensed to like only like 30 seconds it's still really good like cinematically yeah it was really good um once again showing just how connected anakin and obi-wan are not just on a personal level but through the force i mean they were master and apprentice they were best friends they were brothers yeah oh man that scene from episode three i mean getting shown again is great but when you really sit back and just let the weight of that scene like enter your mind yeah just and uh what was i gonna say one thing that i really do like repeated is showing just how much obi-wan is traumatized from the events of revenge of the sith yeah because i mean he should be it was a very traumatic series of events that happened pretty quickly but now he has the added trauma of finally not just knowing that anakin is alive but facing him and seeing just how far he's fallen. Yeah, and especially because, like, at this point, Obi-Wan is, like, he's fallen far away from being able to utilize the Force properly. Yes. So he has to be, like, I would imagine by the end of this show, he's got to find a way to get himself all revved up by the by the um, his uh, appearance in uh, A New Hope. Yeah, and we're actually we actually see this progression throughout this episode. Um, one thing that I do want to mention though, as well, is um, uh, we missed this last episode, but in um the last episode, Vader fights more like Anakin than he does Vader, in his fight against Obi Wan. Yeah, yeah, probably because at the end of the day, like the like the fight choreography wasn't like groundbreaking or anything, but it does show at the end of the day the skill gap between them. Yeah, like how Anakin was always considered the better duelist than Obi-Wan, but he was always far more overconfident. But now we see the roles reversed in where Obi-Wan is no longer, where Anakin is no longer overconfident and shows just how much of a better duelist he is than Obi-Wan. Yeah. And so, but this episode really shows, one, once again, the the just expertly crafted narrative and allegory of the Brika as well as anti-fascist um, revolutionary fighting, I really love it. Um, for one, the fact that... Um, uh, is his name Roken? Ice Cube's son. I think so. Yeah, Ice Cube's son. He plays on Broken. And the fact that they were like, we're not soldiers... That's not how that works. When fascists take over and you are trying to fight against fascists in whatever way you can, you are a soldier because in their eyes, you are no different than someone holding a gun to them. So that's why he looked so familiar. Yeah, he's Ice Cube's son. Yeah, I didn't know who he was, but I felt like he he looked like someone I recognize but is not him. 
So that that's pretty cool. Yeah, no, he's Ice Cube's son. He, he played really well in this, and he's going to be in the next couple episodes too. So I can't wait to see more of him because how he played this role so far was pretty good. Like it was really good. He plays. He play. He's playing a character where they're doing what they can. They're doing. They're fighting the good fight, but they don't realize that doing so you are effectively no different than an enemy soldier but that makes sense considering the rebellion hasn't truly begun yeah i do also want to get ahead of people like who are like what obi-wan's able to connect back to the force so quickly and i'm like guys luke learned how to use the force in like literally a movie but not just that um because because like obi-wan went from like barely being able to utilize the force like being able to manipulate the force to his will. Yeah. To Wh- an extent. Which, like, let's be honest here, the Force has always been bullshit. <laughs> it well, always has So been. here's the thing. The Force is bullshit, but I feel like a lot of people come at the Force, like how... A lot of people come at the Force and Star Wars as a whole, like, battle borders. Specifically battle borders that look at fucking anime. Oh, yeah. The Force isn't like that. The Force, and this has been repeated numerous times throughout many aspects of canon and Star Wars Legends, the Force is at its strongest when its users are trying to protect another person. That is why Luke performed what is ostensibly the most powerful Force move we have ever seen in the history of this franchise, where he astro-projected himself across the galaxy so well that people didn't realize it was an astral production in The Last Jedi. The Force is at its absolute strongest when the user wields it to protect others. And that is why Obi-Wan in this episode could utilize the Force so well. Yeah, which is a pretty strong connection to the fact that it is spiritual in nature. Yes, but also that scene is a reference to Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order where... When Cal Kestis and Sher Junda fought against Vader in that very same hallway, they broke the glass so they could escape. And Vader did exactly what Obi-Wan did, where he held back the torrent of water with the Force. Mind you, he took everything he could because it is a very powerful thing to do. He's literally holding the weight of an ocean with the Force. Yeah, no. I I was very concerned because... um... That's that's the entire ocean that's going to flow in. That'll sink that whole tower. Well, mind you, that is very, very poor construction on their part. I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. Having that in your tower is a huge liability. Yes. But then again, and that... funnily enough, this is now the second time in five years that that has actually happened in that same hallway, matter-of-factly. Which... I'm just going to chalk it up to the fact that fascists just love architecture over functionality. Yes! <laughs> no, you laugh, but yes, this show, this episode in particular, has shown every aspect of why fascism fails at every turn. From the fact that they don't have shield generators set up because they think that anyone that tries to go after them would be fucking suicide shows that they pro- they prioritize fear over practicality. That's why um, Tala was able to get so far that she could in the episode. She was able to utilize the fascistic fear of the one above you. The hierarchy. She used the fact that fascists are rigid in hierarchy and how if 
you are inconveniencing the one above you, you are effectively worthless. Yeah. She got so far in this episode utilizing that fascistic fear, and I loved it. It really shows how fascism isn't hyper-competent. It's hyper-incompetent. It's not practical. It is moronic when you look at it from from an outside perspective. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and, and Castle funny. Inquisitorious is that. It's architecture over practicality. Yeah. <laughs> I can't believe, like... Ah, man. Like, when I saw that, I was like, okay, that makes no sense at all. But only the Empire would do it. <laughs> exactly. This show has really shown exactly what fascism would look like from an inside perspective and an outside perspective. It's masterfully... It has perfected what George Lucas had been going for in the first six movies, which is how fascism is, at the same time, horrifyingly terrible and just absolutely nightmarish, but hyper-incompetent when you look at it with um, a magnifying with when you look at it with a magnifying glass. Wait, what are you talking about? Star Wars was never political. I hate the main you. character was never a woman. I hate <laughs> I hate you so much. I hate you so much. I hate you so much. I hate you so goddamn much. God damn it. God damn it, I hate you. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> Am I wrong? <laughs> Am I wrong that people legitimately think that for some absurd reason? <laughs> yes, we do. Listen, we don't talk about the fandom menace. Even though they should leave Moses Ingram alone. She is amazing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> like, oh, I want to point out something. So you know how, like, like all of the fandom menace are actually pointing out, like, uh, uh, Disney, y'all are hypocrites. Like, you guys say that you guys, lo- like, love embracing the, like, minority groups. No, 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 no. You censor your stuff about, chi- uh, in, uh, China and other hyper-religious states. And we're like, where have you guys been? We've literally been talking about this for two months! <laughs> we were literally talking about that same exact thing. Listen, listen, listen. <laughs> we literally pointed that out. Listen. Like, listen. literally, the progressives are two months ahead. Listen, of... listen. Conservatism <laughs> is, is um, synonymous with a lack of critical thinking skills. It is all feels, no facts, no substance with these people. Like, we literally pointed to out that out to them and tried to make the company better for it. They're like, oh, hypocrite. Owned. Owned. Conservatives, critical thinking... Quite literally, mutually exclusive. <laughs> I just Which wanted it, to bring that up because, yeah. like, I was thinking about that for the past week, and I'm like, wait a minute, they're talking about this now? Yeah. We've literally been up in a tizzy about this for months. Exactly. <laughs> Not just months, years. Because, in fact, it all started with Star Wars. With how they completely destroyed Finn as the main protagonist of the trilogy because of China. Yeah, yeah, and now they're only bringing this up now. Like, I'm talking about this in relation to the Don't Say Gay Bill being brought up in Florida, Mm. but they're bringing it up now. Synonymous with lack of critical thinking. See, here's the thing, is I think too logically. Well, see, that's the thing. 
So I can't, not, I, I can't understand the perspective. You're not a conservative. Anymore. Yes. But, yes, <laughs> no. Lack of critical thinking skills synonymous with conservatism because facts, because feels over facts with these people. If yes. the vibes are off, then that's all they run with. I, if the vibes are on, then that's what they run with. It's vibes all day with these people. We joke about how, like, we brand this show as, like, the intersection between media and politics. That actually has been the most true with this episode, with this episode of the podcast. Yes, it has been. Most definitely. Because <laughs> it is. It is truly the intersection. And this is why I love Star Wars and why I've grown to love Star Wars more as I grew older. Because Star Wars is quite literally the best anti-fascist property that I have seen in a while. Like, I mean, literally, like... The uh, the prequel trilogy is is a um, criticism of liberalism or neoliberalism. It is a it is a it is criticism of both neoliberalism and neoconservatism. Yeah, as it is a critique of the Bush era. Meanwhile, the original trilogy is a critique of the Nazi Party, the American War in Vietnam, as well as the. Um, was it the Nixon or the Reagan administration? It's the Nixon administration because yep. Vietnam was taking place during Nixon. Right. Reagan was, I believe, still an actor at the time. <laughs> and uh, actually, no, wasn't wasn't Reagan? Or what am I thinking of it the other way around? Who set up the other for success? Uh, Reagan was a very he was a B list actor. Meanwhile, his wife was literally deep throating all of Hollywood. Oh my god! <sighs> they don't call her the throat goat for nothing. Oh, I forget they called her that. Anyway, let's get back to the to the actual content here. Yes, but anyways, this episode is most definitely the biggest intersection of why you can't fight against fascism and expect not to be treated like an enemy soldier. Because to a fascist, you are. And that's why it was so that's why it was so poignant when Wade dies. And they come back, and Tala says, I guess you guys are soldiers now. Yeah, yeah. Also, I found it very interesting that the ships that they use to rescue them are the same ships that they used in the Battle of Hoth. <laughs> Meaning that potentially, the inspiration to use these ships in a fighter capacity can be drawn once again to Obi-Wan, showing once again that he is integral the formation of the rebellion you also after this episode also showed why leia was completely unfazed when she was first arrested back in um episode four but also how she was so competent and so confident in lying and being unintimidated by the torture droid episode four a new hope we mean yes <clears throat> it's actually pretty funny how episode four of obi Someone actually pointed this out, how every episode of this show so far has mirrored the episodes of the movies. And this episode mirrors episode four, A New Hope, perfectly in my opinion. You know what? I see it. And honestly, this show does actually does do a lot of work to set up Leia for her appearance in A New Hope. Yeah, it, this show has been probably some of the best Leia characterization we've gotten in a long time. I just hope they do not give her force powers because that ultimately undermines everything up until uh, Return of the Jedi. Um, I don't think that they should give her conscious force powers. Exactly. It well, should no, be I unconscious. Don't want to say, 
I don't want to see any. Well, I think we've already seen it. Well, Let's... I don't want to see anything past like her being able to like understand people's emotions. That's the fullest extent that I will allow them to get away with. Yeah, no, no. I think the extent of her ability and the force that we're going to see is her ability to read people right. as well as that's we also it... I mean we also saw it in this episode her mental resistance. Yeah, she was able to resist Rava really well. Yes, which is actually one part of my massive theory about how this has all been a rehabilitation of the sequel trilogy because Kylo Ren is far more powerful in the Force than Reva is. Yes. And look what he did with that same trick. And mind you, Rey, who is more powerful than Leia in the Force, struggled to stop him when he did the same trick. Yeah. Which um, is to show, one, Kylo Ren is actually super powerful in the Force. It's just that the sequel trilogy does not show that properly. Yeah. But um, now that I've mentioned it, do you want to get into this about my theory? Let's go on to it. Okay, so one part of this episode that was shown was the massive tomb within Castle Inquisitorius. So it pretty much shows up like <clears throat> beings of many uh, races encased in, in a yellow ice-like uh, substance. Yes, um, all of them are Jedi. As can be assumed. Um, one of them is actually from the Clone Wars. He is actually one of the lead detectives of the Jedi Council. And he's in, I believe, a season three episode where him and Ahsoka go on a case together. Hmm. He is one of the many detectives within the Jedi Order. Another one being um, Quinlan Voss, who was mentioned last episode. Yeah. So um, he was unfortunately killed. But so here's my thing. So I've had this running theory for a while that... All of the Star Wars media that has come out since the sequel trilogy began is been secretly done to rehabilitate its to rehabilitate the image of the sequel trilogy by retroactively connecting things to its wider plot. And I believe this episode is another example of it. Remember back in The Mandalorian when we first met the cloner? And yeah. we saw those cloned experiments. Yeah. And now, think back again. Remember in The Rise of Skywalker when we saw the Palpatine cloning facility and we saw how Snoke was made? I believe that Castle Inquisitorius and its various Jedi tombs is actually the beginning steps of the cloning of Jedi to see if they can properly clone Palpatine. Huh. The keeping of these characters in stasis is so they can constantly access different Force users' genetic templates and their connection to the Force so they can perfect the ability of cloning a Force-sensitive being, which will then become the Strand cast named Snoke, who will then take over the First Order from Grand Admiral Ray Sloan after the events of the Aftermath trilogy of books. See... I wouldn't even call it, because I see where you're going with this, I wouldn't even call it a reformation of the sequel trilogy in people's eyes. It's just keeping the narrative flowing. Well, like, you can respect a series for not dumping, like, like bad plot lines and just pretending that it has no influence on the wider uh, world as a whole. Which, of course, we dunked on uh, Rise of Skywalker for doing just that. I think they're just taking the opposite approach and making sure that everything that happened in the sequel trilogy is still a, like, a large part of the mythos and just making sure that like 
the world is like fully built. Well, the reason why I say it's a reformation of the sequel trilogy is that the prequels, when Star Wars The Clone Wars first came out, the prequels were still lauded as being terrible. They were still the butt of all jokes and no one actually took them seriously. However, Star Wars The Clone Wars and the Clone Wars Multimedia Project, which was at the time when the EU was still a thing, they massively reformed the image of the prequels by showing plot threads that would have inevitably come up within prequel movies, namely Revenge of the Sith, but even reviving plot threads from the Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones within the context of the series. So I, I wanna... And it made people more appreciative of what was to come within the prequels to the point that when prequel memes became a thing on Reddit, it went from being unironic hatred to ironic hatred to ironic loving to unironic loving so i want to show you how i think differently about this so i see the relation between the clone wars and the prequel trilogy as taking something bad and building something with it whereas the other way around we are seeing the foundation built like a great foundation being built for the sequel trilogy so rather instead of taking something and go and going outward with it we are taking something from the inside being like established with a firm foundation. Well, the reason why I want to say that is this this episode is also a reference to Star Wars um, Jedi Fallen Order, which is another Star Wars property that serves to elevate the prequel trilogy, not the prequel, the sequel trilogy. In Jedi Fallen Order, there is the fact that the planet Ilum plays a massive role in it because Ilum is a very special planet to the Jedi. That is where they get all their crystals for their lightsabers. That is actually, there are references throughout Fallen Order to the fact that the planet is being strip mined, which is very weird. That is because Ilum is the planet that will become Starkiller base. Mm. That's what I'm talking about in the sense that all the things in the sequel trilogy that seem random or people don't care for will now become things people do care for. So that's, that's what the Clone Wars did for the prequel trilogy. Because there are many aspects of the prequel trilogy that at the time when it came out and afterwards, no one gave a fuck. So, but the Clone Wars made it so you cared for even those minute details. This is now happening again. So... I just want to like re reiterate where I'm coming yeah. from with this. So with that, you've got like, you've got taking the sequel or the prequel trilogy, and you branch out so much with so many great ideas. Meanwhile, with the sequel trilogy, you are taking a whole bunch of things that could be built up potentially, and you're just taking like the found like building the foundation for it to be successful. Well, that's what they did with the Clone Wars. The so Clone I'm just so I'm just speaking more from like less reforming the sequels and more like making good stuff with its bones rather than what no I, that... I just see i just see them differently because... well well i this is why i'm telling you to please watch clone wars and also affiliated media so you can understand where i'm coming from because it's not that they took the prequels and made expanding stories from it they're what they did with the prequels was they took what the prequels had and they were able to establish a foundation with the Clone Wars to make the prequels better. To make the things that happened in the prequels better. 
That's what they're doing with this. It's not that the prequels branched out into these storylines in Clone Wars. It is that Clone Wars is what allowed the prequels to branch out with its storylines, which is what's happening now. The Clone Wars ostensibly created the groundwork for where the prequels will succeed. So I guess it's more I'm thinking of... You're viewing it as the prequels allowed Clone Wars to come up with all these new storylines when... Because how I'm viewing it is yeah. like, we've got we've got the prequels and then we've got the Clone Wars like going out and doing something. Whereas I see everything that's being formed here flowing into the sequel trilogy. Yeah, but it's actually the other way around when it comes to the Clone Wars. The Clone Wars goes into the prequels. Well, I guess I just gotta watch it. You have to watch it. And we're actually seeing this again. Mind you, I wouldn't call it a rehabilitation of the original trilogy, because the original trilogy is pretty much beloved, but with stories such as Star Wars Bad Batch, as well as Star Wars Rebels, we are seeing the same thing happen with the original trilogy. Or hell, even Rogue One. Or Rogue One. So what I'm saying is basically there has been, in my opinion, a very highly concerted effort over a lot of Star Wars projects to make the sequel trilogy bigger than it was. So then when fans will go back and look at these things, they will be able to see everything that came before and appreciate it, appreciate the sequel trilogy more. That is why I believe the entirety of The Mandalorian Season 1 and 2 focus so much on Moff Gideon. Because this is actually supposed to be a precursor to the First Order. That is why I believe the Ahsoka show is going to be very important. Because the Ahsoka show is going to ostensibly show us the beginning of the First Order. Yeah. We're not, not just the beginning of the First Order, but I, more I specifically, say... it's going to show us the Sith Eternal cult. And mainly the smaller cults that took place before the bigger Sith cult, mainly being the Knights of Ren and the Acolytes of the Beyond. I will say this. If they make this approach a standard and go with it into Andor, they could possibly get me to care about that show. Well, actually, that is why I'm even more excited for Andor, because I firmly believe that's exactly what they're doing with it. I see that, too. That is the only way they can get me to care about that damn show. I actually, That's <laughs> actually why I care about it, because I see it as another expansion yeah there's also a show called acolyte which we know nothing about which i have now been theorizing that acolyte is actually going to be about the sith cult acolytes of the beyond which is a sith cult that developed after the battle of jakku which ended the galactic civil war where it is basically a sith cult of people that are enamored with darth vader and darth sidious and want to bring them back and they inevitably get co-opted by the sith eternal cult which as you know from um the rise of skywalker is the cult that palpatine runs and so i believe personally that all of this is actually just been set up to make the sequel trilogy better when you go and rewatch it like how the prequel trilogy has now been made better people meme about oh somehow palpatine came back but that is actually going to be the foundation of everything that they're doing now just as how there's so many prequel memes that are now actually you know integral to plot threads this is the same thing. 
People are taking the somehow Palpatine returned and they're like, that's a meme. But we're going to make it so when you see that scene, actually, you're going to laugh at the memes, but you're also going to understand that, oh, somehow he returned. How he returned was through a series of contingencies and machinations that were decades in the making that no one could have expected, except for those who have seen the entire story through and through. Yeah. And I believe that this episode and this series as a whole is another step in that direction. The Tomb of These Jedi is supposed to be the precursor into experimenting on them to create a strand cast, which will inevitably become Snoke and the man that will also become Rey's father. Yeah. All right. I think whew, we definitely went on a tangent there with that episode again. <laughs> yes, and um, I would also rank this episode a 7.5. Yeah, 7 for me. I'd rank it a 7.5. It was really good. I also really liked how Obi-Wan has become more Obi-Wan. For one, he's no longer like just bullshitting about what he needs to do. He's like, we're going to get Leia. He's like, I'll do this alone if I have to, which is a complete 180 from how he was at the beginning of the show. Where yeah. he was just like, uh, I, 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 gotta I gotta protect Luke. Like, Now he's like, no, I'm doing this. I will go in alone if I have to. Like he's starting to become... The Jedi known as Obi-Wan. Yeah, and you can even tell by his costume. He's now no longer wearing hoods. Yeah. He's no longer wearing a hood. He's running out. His lightsaber's front and center. He is doing the damn thing, and he's doing it well. And we also see several references to the original trilogy, such as um, the force trick that he does to get the people to go, to get the stormtroopers to run around the corner. Yeah. Taken straight out of A New Hope. Yep. Um... But, yeah, I think this is really good. I believe episode 5 and 6 is going to be the complete return to Obi-Wan. Yeah. And that will... Which I hope so, too, because, again, he's got a, a huge gap to make up to match his, his skills in uh, episode 6. I actually think we're closer to how he is. Oh, no, I, 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 I agree with you, because, again, I think... they, the people, a, a person's uh, ability with the Force escalates exponentially, and uh, people don't like to acknowledge that <laughs> yeah and it also increases exponentially based off of what they're doing with the force and i believe that obi-wan is going to become truly at his most powerful when not only he's embraced that he's doing this to protect leia but he's now doing it to protect the future of the jedi yeah. Because now that the path is fully in jeopardy, he is no longer just about saving Leia. He is saving all of the past, present, and future Jedi. Yeah. And that will make him much more powerful in the Force, so much so that he will finally connect with Qui-Gon. We better get that uh, Liam Neeson appearance. We better get it in episode six. It has we, to happen. We have to. It has to happen. It must happen. I don't care if it's a physical appearance. I don't care if it's a voice appearance. It just needs to happen. We need to end this show off with Obi-Wan communicating with Qui-Gon. Yes. And Especially so, considering like how before he couldn't communicate, but now, like after being exiled, his powers are growing like faster and faster as the yeah. plot goes forward. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's it's got to happen. Yeah. Also, this episode also set up how Leia knew instinctively that they were being tracked in A New Hope. Because she escaped from Castle Inquisitorius relatively easy, and she was tracked by the Inquisitors, meaning that when it happens on the Death Star, she's like, oh, I know damn well they didn't let these people escape on, on accident. This was on purpose. 
Yeah. Which, once again, sets up why Leia is, one, fearless and smart come A New Hope. It's because of her experiences here. And also, this episode firmly, firmly solidifies why Leia would ever want to name her son Ben Solo. After everything Obi-Wan has done over the past four, four episodes, this episode firmly solidifies why Leia would want to name her firstborn child after him. Definitely. All right. I think that about wraps up that conversation. Now we've got one more thing to talk about as far as media is concerned. We are talking but, about DC Comics, and we are talking about the new Black Adam trailer. So I want to be upfront with this. Uh, a month ago, we talked about how um, trailers came out to a, um exclusive audience over in... Um, well, what was the thing called? Was it DC... DC something? It wasn't DC Fandom. It was DC something. So it was an exclusive... It was a event. DC showcase of source, but it wasn't Fandom. I know that, because this one was more focused on the DCEU. Do you think that this is the trailer they showed off there? Yes, I believe it was. Okay. So uh, let's go ahead and dive into it now that we... The reason why I believe it was is because when I heard about those trailers, they talked extensively about Dr. Fate, who in this trailer, has a very prominent role. Yeah. Now, I want to get this up front, because, of course, this can be a fear for anybody, but I want to say that I don't have these fears, is that I don't think that The Rock is going to be playing as himself. So when I say that, I mean, like, in roles like Central Intelligence, where he's just playing himself. Yeah. But, because, like, when you think of roles that he doesn't play himself, the only thing that comes to mind is his Fast and the Furious Yeah, where he plays his um, Hobbs. Which is a very goofy role. Yes. But here, the way that he's performing, it seems like we're going to deviate for that, and I couldn't be more relieved. Yes. And here's one thing that I feel like people do not understand, is that if you're in the WWE, you have to be decent at acting. Yeah. Because the WWE, at the end of the day, is a narrative with actors. At the end of the day, WWE is anime. Yes. It is anime. It is anime (laughs) as fuck. But that should also let you know that The Rock is good at acting when he's actually given something good to act. And I feel a lot of people, for a while, underestimated a wrestler's ability to act until... We got Dave Batista in Guardians of the Galaxy and John Cena. Because at the end of the day, people don't realize, like, the WWE actually has its own studio and their wrestlers have to act, like, somewhat similar to themselves, so... Yeah, so, I mean, and I think the biggest of the biggest of showing that wrestlers have potential is Dave Batista, but also John, John Cena. Cena. John yep. Cena in his various roles since... Um, because... Since his um, big uh, WWE debut, because I mean, he was in he was in Fast in, Fast Eight. He was in Fast Eight. He's in. Um, or actually, was it Fast Eight or Fast Nine? I think it was Nine. Wait, am I correct? Is there a Nine? Wait, wait, no, no, no. Fate of the Furious. That's the Fast Eight. I think it's Fast Nine. No, no. Wait, wait no. Fast Nine did happen, right? Did it happen yet? Has Fast Nine? Does Fast Nine exist? I I lose track of this franchise. Yes, Fast Nine already. Happened. So then it was Fast Nine. Yes. No, Fast Nine was where they finally took Fast and the Furious into space. <laughs> what? 
Yeah, they, 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 in the trailers, they put a rocket onto one of their cars and you see it flying. <laughs> no, remember, you know the meme of like, oh, Fast, Fast and Furious has jumped over the shark. Next, we need to have Fast and Furious in space. And they put a rocket on a car in the trailer. That has been a joke for the longest time. Anyways, <laughs> John Cena was in Fast 9. He was also in Sonic the Hedgehog 2. And he actually has a lot of animated roles, actually. Yes, he does. He is. Um, he was also obviously in Peace. He's also in the Suicide Squad as well as um, Peacemaker. Yeah. No, his role in that was actually pretty well because he he didn't even act as himself as like his as, as like his wrestler persona. He yeah. was acting as a pretty good Peacemaker. Yeah. He played Christopher Smith pretty well. Like, um, let me see. Let me see some of the stuff that he's in. Oh, I just realized that John Cena had a rapping career. <laughs> we, don't, we don't talk about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, he's been acting for a while. He was in Fred the Movie. Mm. We can skip that. <laughs> yeah, no, but he's been in animated movies. Like, remember Surf's Up? Yeah. Oh, yeah, he was in that, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He was also in... Oh, wait. Um, Actually, wait. Are you talking about one or two? Surf's Up 2. Oh, no. Forget about that. Please, for the love of God, destroy that from your existence. Please. I never destroy watched. that from that memory. I never watched Surf's Up It's garbage. It's just a WWE commercial. I only watched the original. It's just a garbage WWE commercial. Yeah. He was in Generator Rex, which I loved as a kid. I didn't watch that. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it was a really good show. But yeah, no. So I think The Rock is going to pull this off well. I think he can pull Adam Teth really well, which I think is what he really needs to do. Because it's one thing to play as Black Adam, fearless leader of Kondok, but what he needs to do is he needs to play as Adam Teth, former slave. Yeah. That's what he needs which to do. Which it looks get. like it's going to be an, an essential part of the movie because, of yes. course, we see, oh, his son sacrificed himself for him because of like earlier it's shown that he was in fact in bondage yes and i think the rock can play adam teth which i think that's what we need i we need someone to play a good adam teth it's pretty easy to play a good black adam but we need a good adam teth it's like in the same way we need a good tony stark we need a good bruce wayne we need yeah. a good steve rogers we need a good clark kent for fuck's sake <laughs> but yes, this has been looking really good. For one, we're seeing the Justice Society. Um, I saw Hawkman, who is black, which is really cool, because I wonder if this is supposed to be the Egyptian incarnation. So Hawkman is complicated, and I'm going to leave it at that, because there are numerous versions of Hawkman, and none of it makes sense. Sometimes he's a human, sometimes he's an alien, sometimes he's an Egyptian god, sometimes he is all three at the same time. Don't question it. I'm just going to keep my puzzled expression to myself. Hawkman and Hawkwoman are complicated, and no one knows how to fucking write them because they are so complicated. We're leaving it at that. Okay. But Hawkman is in it, which is going to be really cool. We also saw Dr. Fate, so I believe this was already confirmed, but more than anything, yes, this is going to be with the Justice Society of America, hmm. which I'm really happy about, but I'm also afraid. Because I don't want them to get killed off. I don't think they will. I feel like one of them is down. We could see... 
could see a version of Hawkman die. And just leave don't, it don't, don't, don't even joke about that, because that will cause way too many problems. Don't even joke about killing off Hawkman, because that, that, that's part of the problem. <laughs> well, just cut one head off and just let another pop out. Yeah. But anyways, we uh, the the main the main characters that we're getting is um, we're getting Hawkman. They this one says it's uh, so this one we're they're saying it's Carter Hall, the Carter Hall reincarnation of Hawkman. We'll see how that plays out. I don't hold hope because and it's not because I think this movie is gonna be bad. I just don't hold hope about anything involving Hawkman because no one understands Hawkman. So they say this is Carter Hall. I'll wait. But we're also getting um Al 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 Rothenstein, aka the hero Adam Smasher. We're getting obviously Kent Nelson Dr. Fate, but we're also getting Ma Hunkle or Maxine Hunkle, otherwise known as Red Tornado. Which is actually really interesting that they went with her over the android Red Tornado. Yeah, because that's the one I recognized from Young Justice. Yes. So Red Tornado is actually a character that has many different people that um, went by the moniker before the robot. That happens a lot in DC, huh? Because you got Blue Beetle, you got... DC is ostensibly about legacy. Even Robot Man, like um, everyone talks about, oh, Robot Man, and uh, they talk about the one from Doom Patrol, or they may even talk about Cyborg, but no one talks about the Robot Man that existed before all of them. Yeah, like, yeah, you got Blue Beetle, you got Robin, you got, yeah, you got a lot. Aren't there, like, multiple, like, arrows, too? Yes. Yes. Yeah. There's Oliver Queen, there's Mia Dearden, there's Emiko Queen, there is Roy Harper, there is um, Connor Hawk. There's a lot. Yeah, yeah. That... Yeah. And yeah, so her, yeah. So. And you see that to an extent in, in Marvel, but not too much. Like you see, of course, you see Hawkeye, you see who else? See, legacy is the big thing for uh, DC. So, actually, so this is actually, so, sorry. This isn't going to be Red Tornado. This is going to be Cyclone. But she is the granddaughter to the original Red Tornado, Abigail Hunkel. No relation to the robot Red Tornado. Okay. Yes. No. So, Abigail Hunkel was the original Red Tornado, and, um, yeah, no relation to, um, John Smith Red Tornado, because I believe Abigail Hunkel, Abigail Hunkel came out in the 1930s, yeah, Abigail Hunkel came out in 1939, meanwhile, John Smith Red Tornado did not show up until 1968. Okay. So, So yeah. As far as this trailer looks, I want to say the, like again, the biggest thing I am concerned about is how they portray this character because I feel like Duroc is probably well equipped, well equipped 
to take on this role. Yeah. Because just based on the trailer alone, it looks like trying himself, like yeah. you see a lot of wrestlers do. Yeah, he's definitely not going to be uh, making jokes, which makes sense because this is Black Adam we're talking about. He's not a quipster. He is. Um, he, he he literally went through slavery. So uh, yeah, yeah. We're not we're not going to get a Shazam scenario here where we where uh, they're constantly joking. <laughs> yeah, and um, yeah, we're probably going to get that. We're probably going to get him becoming a leader. Of sorts, which is kind of why when we reviewed the death of the Justice League, why he survived back at the end of just death of Justice League when everyone died, he was the only one that lived against the fight against Pariah. Um, is because he went to go find, he went to become a leader of sorts, or more specifically, he went to go recruit Nightwing to be the leader of the new superhero community. I think we're going to get a similar thing in this movie, where Black Adam is not necessarily going to become a leader of a superhero community. He's mainly going to become the leader of Kondok, but he will be finding someone that will be a hero, just not him. Yeah, yeah. And I'm still hopeful of this movie, despite the fact that we see the impending wall of the end of the DCEU approaching us ever so slowly but surely yes with the whole warner brothers discovery with how many shows on the cw got canceled and many future projects are being canceled and how basically they want to just restructure dc into its own content vertical thank god but yeah this is definitely something to be worried about where you kind of see it and you're just kind of like, like but is it gonna go anywhere like the dceu could be making making bank but it just doesn't stand out from the mcu that yeah really. and see part of my worry is that with the selection of characters that we got for the justice society where we got outside of dr fate and hawkman no one knows who red tornado or adam smasher are yeah like, in an ideal scenario, we would have had our fourth or fifth Superman movie at this point. Yeah. Like, like at this point, we have our fourth Captain America already greenlit. Yeah. And so, this is going to be just very... Like, yeah. it's probably going to be a fairly decent movie, but at the yeah. same time, we do see the end of this universe coming fairly soon. Yeah, and it's really sad. Because, because... I like DC more than I like Marvel, but DC movies garbage like you except could, for the batman and joker yeah which aren't even aren't even dceu properties yeah like as far as things that are in the dceu that are like fantastic you can only think of a few like shazam the original wonder woman the suicide squad the, the suicide squad was actually fantastic yeah like even that, though i do have my complaints about um uh duh, 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 what's his name james gunn and how he takes d-list characters and makes them into basically ocs that are nothing like their comic book counterparts i feel like that was better for polka dot man <laughs> uh i'm just talking in general like it works for certain characters because but... this is going to be a slight tangent but i just think james gunn he takes d-list characters that don't have too big of an established fan base and he just turns them into ocs biggest example is drax drax has criminally been just character assassinated by the mcu in the comics drax killed thanos by ripping his fucking heart out you will not ever see mcu drax do shit like that 
Drax has an entire drama about his daughter who he thought was dead for the longest time and she worked under Thanos for a while and it's a whole character development that we will never see Drax have. Yeah. Or when we look at um, the Suicide Squad, I mean, while I love what they did with Peacemaker, we have now completely divorced him from the rest of his colleagues. We like, there's no Judo Master, there's no Phantom Lady, there's no Blue Beetle, there's no Captain Atom, who Ju- were Judo Master wasn't Peacemaker. N- but you know what I mean, like, like the like the original like concept of it. You mean? Yes. Like, Judo Master is in it, but Judo Master is not the Judo Master from the comics. Not that I want him to be like the comics, but they're not... They're basically just a separate character with the same name. Mm-hmm. So it's not like a reinvention of the character, it's just completely different altogether. It's a, a, lot of James's, a lot of James Gunn's characters are basically just new characters with... Uh, a familiar coat of paint on there. Yeah. I mean, look at what he did with Mongol. She literally burned to death. That was the daughter of fucking Mongol. One of Superman's greatest enemies. Come on. Come on. <sighs> or Savant. Savant. Like, I get it. Memes. Funny. It was really cool how they killed him off. But Savant is a dangerous Black Canary villain. You would not have known that from watching the Suicide Squad. Yeah. The only reference you get that he's a Black Canary villain is that he kills a Black Canary in prison. And Black Canary hasn't even been established as, like, a potential hero. She's only been in um, the Harley Quinn movie. You mean Birds of Prey? They, they, they've rebranded that thing so many times, I forget what they decide at that point. It's a Birds of Prey, but yeah. Because they originally, they originally did it... I think they originally did Birds of Prey and whatever tangent they put at the end and then they did at the like months later they did harley quinn and the birds of prey like they actually like rebranded that movie i don't i don't fucking care but yeah yeah, like i don't know i feel like james gunn is very good but i feel like when it comes to characters he just kind of takes their bare bones and he just kind of just runs i mean even ronan the accuser ronan is not (sighs) ronan is not a fascist like he was in Gardens of the Galaxy. He's not a genocidal zealot, like zealot fascist. He is just like a hardline military officer that will work with the Avengers when necessary. He's part of one of my favorite scenes is one of my favorite scenes in the comics is from the storyline Infinity where he and Thor go to negotiate with the builders after they've completely decimated the galaxy. And after Thor kills the builders by literally... So how it goes is this. Captain America, like, the builders want an unconditional surrender. So they send down their best diplomats, Ronan the Accuser and Thor. So what they do is they have Thor get rid of his weapon. So Thor, he makes a prayer to Odin and he throws his weapon into space. And then he gets his ass beat by the builders. But what actually happened is that he sent Mjolnir into space. It flew into a star and then rocketed back to the planet. And then right as the builder was about to like be victorious, he pulls his hand back and Mjolnir fires through the atmosphere, 
butchering the builder and he grabs it and he lights Milner with um fucking thunder and then Ronan lifts his warhammer and then they all start chanting and they get the entire accuser core to raise their their hammers and it's a gigantic massive war cry that they use to build and basically build morale to fight against the builders all over again and you would never get you will never get MCU Ronan to do anything close to that. Yeah. Mind you, it is a phenomenal Thor scene, but Ronan is what really sells the scene. Okay. And I feel that making Ronan into just a fascist zealot robbed him of a lot. And I feel the the biggest character though they got robbed was fucking Star Lord. Star Lord got fucking bit butchered by James Gunn fucking destroyed by James Gunn. And uh, that's why I kind of don't like the character. Also because he's, he was played as, or who plays him. <laughs> um, I feel like Chris Pratt could have been allowed to play actual Star-Lord, but I feel that that's just not who James Gunn wanted. Mind you, I don't think Guardians would have succeeded if we went with a more comic-accurate Star-Lord, but as it stands right now, I don't like current Star-Lord. Tangents aside, um, I think Black Adam is going to be decent. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of DC movies, though, Joker 2 got greenlit, and um, I'm not happy about it. So, we do have the title. It will be Joker Folie à Douai. Which is basically the medical term for two people, two or more people, but usually two people, that share the exact same delusion. If you know anything about mental health and people that suffer from delusions, it's very unlikely that two people who are mentally unstable will share the exact same delusion. There may be similarities in their delusions, but it's never the same. But a... F what is it? Folie adoué. Folie adoué. That is when two people share the exact same delusion. And so when they are criminally insane... It is very dangerous to both them and other people. So I don't think they're going to be hyper-literal with it. I think that's just a way to, like, you know, make make it, like, like super, like, gritty and, like, artsy at the end of the day. Because Todd Phillips tried to make Joker an art house film, yeah. pretty much. But I don't think they're going to take the title super literally. I think because at the end of the day, Joker yeah. is who drives Harley and Quinzel insane. Yes. But see, that's the thing. I do think they are going to take it literally because I do think with this movie, Harley Quinn, who I think is what the Fual de Due is a reference to, I think she will end up with the exact same delusion as him. Because if you are to do a sequel hook, the Joker Joker ends with the formation of the Joker gang at the end. Or not or not even that, just the, like, you also have to take into account, like, his character will evolve to be something entirely different in the next movie because as soon as he takes the blood and creates the smile, that is the Joker. That is yeah. no longer Arthur Fleck. And then the people around him are now the Joker gang. Yeah. And so that's why, but the difference being is that the formation of the Joker gang came from people that related to his struggle, but they didn't see what he saw. But 
if they want to make Harley Quinn stand out from the Joker gang that he developed at the end of Joker, then she has to see the delusions the way he sees it. For her relationship with him to be different from that of the others. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that is fairly, like, accurate to what is depicted on the comics. But But that's my problem. It isn't. Harley Quinn never has the same delusions as the no, Joker. No, she has something entirely different, but what I'm saying is, like, her delusions were motivated by his influence. Yes, but I think this movie is going to not do that. So, it, it would look like that we both just have different outlooks on the potential of this movie. Yeah, I mean, the naming of this movie, to me, very much implies that they are making it so that Harley Quinn is going to be the person that completes him. Someone that sees the world exactly as he does. I can see that, but I'm just I'm just more of the perspective that they're just doing this to make, make this into a, a second art house film. See, the reason why I disagree with that is because of how Joker was set up. I don't think they would do something so callous. I don't think they would take a specific term and just put it there just for show if it's there it's there for a reason i i cannot see this movie and these creators being the type of people that would take something so first of all it's a very unique term it's not something used in common like common like talking which is why i feel more than anything that because they deliberately used it it is going to inform what this movie is about And because of that, I believe they really are going to make it so that Harley Quinn is someone that sees the world exactly like how the Joker sees it. But in the comics, it was never that. Because in the comics, the Joker's whole thing was that he never can get someone to see the world how he sees it. He always believed in things such as um, one bad day. All it takes is one bad day for you to become like me. Which has always been proven wrong. It was always that, yeah, it took you one bad day because you're weak. And that is why it's even more impressive that Harley Quinn escaped him. Because even when he was manipulating her, it was never one bad day that caused her to become Harley Quinn. It was a series of abusive events that eventually caused her to be like that but it was never one bad day it's why he constantly fails at breaking jim gordon it's why he fails at breaking batman and why canonically he would fail at breaking superman more injustice hate coming (laughs) but yes yeah that's why so i don't like first of all i don't think joker needed a sequel i think it was fine on its own i think yeah see i don't very uh, it's very common to say that yeah joker was perfect as it is so it doesn't need a sequel and i share that opinion yeah i don't think it needed a sequel but the sequel that they're running with is they're doing harley quinn where she's gonna share the same delusion as him and i kind of don't like that because i completely will undermine harley as a character because harley always had a different outlook of things compared to the joker because the greatest example i can think of as to where as to how the joker manipulates harley is that 
it actually in the uh, Harley Quinn animated series, whenever Harley looks back um, to their relationship, like Harley always imagines, oh, they've committed wedding vows. Like they are like a couple and she looks up to him and they, while they view the world differently, they have like a different delusion. Because yeah. when she looks back at it, thanks to Poison Ivy and realizes what a- happens, it's not like, oh, do te- till death to us part, like a wedding ring. Mm. It was a grenade ring. Yeah. So it's it, it's a completely different delusion that they share, and then that's why I'm ex- extremely hesitant due to other interpretations of the character that I've seen that they will take this route. We'll see, but that's the like that's why I don't want it to happen because not just that. I mean, look at where she originally debuted. She debuted in Batman the Animated Series. She's the most famous cartoon character turned comic book character. Yeah. And even when you looked at Batman the Animated Series, you could always tell that she always viewed things differently than him. Right. I mean, he, he, I mean even in comedic scenes where she was just like like what are you doing with all this money and the joker's like are you fucking kidding me that's the irs i don't fuck with them (laughs) yeah but or even like harley quinn has a different like vision of how to handle the batman because at the end of the at the end of the day the joker sees their the feud between him and the batman as just something that happens it's something that goes on Whereas, remember the one time Harley Quinn actually tried to take out the Batman and Joker literally pushed her out of a building? Yeah. Yeah, no, that's because they have different perspectives on what goes on between them. Exactly, and so... So that's why I'm like, this character has been established so much that I feel like it would be taking a different route. But, you know what? At the end of the day, the Joker is not even the original portrayal of the Joker to begin with, actually. Because... In the comics, Arthur Fleck does not exist. Yeah. So, uh... And see, that's the other thing, is that... Uh, you, 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 may, you may be right, because at the end of the day, the original Joker was not even comics accurate. It was more just, just an interpretation of the character as a whole. Yeah, but see, the other thing is, you also have to remember, when the Joker came out, people were massively afraid of the incel violence that could come from this movie. Do you think that was overblown at all no i think it was very much taken as seriously as it should have been taken given everything that has currently happened in today's society i think we should have been afraid so i'm more take that because i view the joker as a critique on how our uh, society handles or handles mental health oh no, no no i'm not talking about the movie itself okay the lead up to the movie Oh, okay. You're talking about something entirely different than what no, I'm thinking. No, about. no, 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 no. I'm talking about the lead up to the movie. Everyone is afraid of incel violence that could come from it because ostensibly the movie looked like it was incel bait. Okay. Okay. So you're talking about before the movie even came out. Yes. Yes. Once the okay. movie came out, everyone realized it wasn't incel okay, bait, so and you're, so all the alarm so, bells went away. So. Okay. So you're. We're talking about entirely yes. different things. But what I mean though is that now that we have established who Arthur Fleck is. We saw what someone like him tried to do when he imagined having a healthy relationship. Even in his delusions, his relationship was not healthy at all. Oh, are you, uh, hold on. You, you kinda, I kind of lost my train of thought there. Say that again? In his delusions, his relationship with his neighbor is not necessarily healthy. Oh, he doesn't even have a relationship. The relationship is all in his head. No, I said the delusions. Even in his delusions, the relationship isn't healthy. Give me a second to come back 
because my mind is out of it right now. Let me collect myself, come back. Okay, I'm back. Okay, so yeah, because his delusion is that he has an actual relationship. But and even what he looks as a happy, healthy relationship isn't necessarily healthy, because think about it, she completely abandons her daughter at every turn when it comes to their relationship. But also the fact of the matter is that um, like he stalks her and she thinks that's hot and all this other shit. But now imagine we do get a similar relationship, except it's real and it's with an actual person. Oh yeah, because actually, yeah, now that you bring that up, this Joker's approach to romance is actually vastly different than any other interpretation. It's fundamentally broken. And that's why I feel that bringing in Harley Quinn means that we will, like, that because this is going to be a Harley Quinn that's just as broken as he is. And it's not going to be one where he manipulates her. Oh, you don't think so? It can't be. The Joker we get in this move manipulates people. He is always honest and upfront about everything he does in this movie, in the Joker. Yeah, yeah. He never lies. Ever. Th- had, think of any time he's lied in that movie. Yeah, no, you're right. You're, you but are. think about all other interpretations of Joker. That man lies like a motherfucker. Yeah, yeah. So there is no way that this Joker can be one that manipulates someone to becoming crazy. And that's why I believe the title is very purposeful. Because Harley Quinn is not going to be someone he makes crazy in this. It's going to be someone that shares his delusion. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, we are most likely going to see a scene of them sitting down in in the mental ward and her analyzing him. Unless, 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 unless we are entirely wrong, and this is not a reference to Harley Quinn at all, and this is a reference to an entirely separate character. Yeah, this... The only other character I could think of is Riddler, but since they're kind of already doing that in The Batman, I don't think we're going to get it. Yeah, no, I don't think so. And unfortunately, I doubt... Well, actually, there is one other character. He's a very obscure... He was the Joker's original sidekick before Harley Quinn. It could be that guy, but I doubt it. No, if they if they're gonna do a Joker too, they kind of are obligated to bring in Harley Quinn at this point. Yeah, I know. Yeah, his name was a uh, his name was a uh, Gagsworth A Gagsworth A K Gagsworth A Gagsworthy A K A Gaggy. <laughs> now, if this was <laughs> yes. Now, if this is entirely about Gaggy, <laughs> shut up! <laughs> if this is about Gaggy, <laughs> Christ. <laughs> now, if this movie is about Gaggy and Joker, I can work with that. But let's be honest here. If this is about Gaggy, I will suck a squirrel's dick. I don't fucking know. I doubt it. It's censored for terms of service. I don't, I don't fucking know, but like, 
No, we, we, we don't advocate for zoophilia on this platform. No, we don't. But um, <laughs> if, this is most definitely about Harley Quinn. If it's about Gaggy, though, that would be, that would be first of all, it would be a very deep cut, which I would appreciate. But then everything that I have to criticize about it would make more sense if it's done with Gaggy, because it would make more sense that a friend that he meets in an insane asylum could share a delusion, but not a love interest. Especially not a love interest who canonically has always been an abuse victim. Yeah. And at this point, this is also another thing that bothers me. There has been, we have spent more time with Harley Quinn both in the comics and out of the comics as someone not in a relationship with Joker that I feel making a Joker movie about their relationship is just regressing the character in the cultural zeitgeist. I still think it could be interesting. I mean, it could be interesting. It could be because but I just it could be a further dissection of his character because originally, at the end of the day, that's what the original Joker yes, was. Yes, I know, but at the same time, I feel like we. I just I don't like the idea of bringing Harley Quinn. I feel like we just have different like. Yeah. Outlooks as to how this this can go more because I'm more like seeing how Harley Quinn is now like at this point she's an antihero. Like, she's fully distanced herself as a villain in the comics. Not like, just in the comics, in pretty much every medium, she's separate from Joker. Because at this point, like, I, I'm very intrigued about because at this point in in like other media, like including the Harley Quinn animated series in her own uh, DCEU movie, we don't get a lot of her being under the influence of the Joker, and I want to see that toxic, uh, like relationship brew into the character she is now i want to see the elements of yeah. that because the problem i have is is that i feel like this movie is just not going to be the movie to do that yeah well we never know i just feel like there's not enough time in a movie to be able to do to introduce harley as presumably dr harley and quinzel yeah and then turn her into him and then make her into her own independent character all by the end of the movie Oh, no, not to turn her into a, her own character. I don't see that. I don't see... You definitely can't fit that in. Especially that, with, yeah. where this movie is probably going to be two and a half hours yeah. long. The other thing is also the fact that how are you going to introduce Harley? She is quite literally, before becoming Harley Quinn, she was probably one of the smartest psychologists in the world. Yeah. yeah. How and are you going to... You, you got to make... Like, you have to make sure that she like is around the same age as Arthur Fleck because if you bring her in as a college student, oh god, or a college kill graduate, it. kill it, that is fire, a, that is a kill horrible it idea, fire, please. And you know that is the easy route to go. You can easily, yes, make, you can easily make her the college graduate and sexualize the hell out of her, and that would be the worst way to go. Exactly. That's why I'm so afraid about this entire concept See, because there's so much for it to go wrong. Which is why, essentially, why I just didn't want a Joker sequel to begin with. Because Joker is a standalone character, divorced from all of his other influences, worked. Yeah, no, you... With, with like, the minorest of minor references to Batman. Yeah, because, see, for me, Harley would have to be in her early to mid-30s. Because, ultimately, like, it's never been established what age Arthur Fleck is. But he's not in his 20s. He's in his 30s, and... I mean, in the comics, the Joker is 
The Joker being older than Harley worked better in the comics because it was a far more overtly ob- abusive and manipulative situation. Yeah. But if you're trying to make this a dual, like a dual delusion type scenario, having one be much older than the other creates a lot of problems. Where I guess you could say it's a compelling plot point to see did she actually share the same delusions as him, or was she because she was so much younger than him? manipulated into believing she had those and that could be a compelling plot point but i don't yeah i don't 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 want that discussion to happen to begin with yeah i just want to establish that they better not sexualize this character because in the dceu she's a much better character in in uh the suicide squad and in uh, her own movie whereas in the original suicide squad she was sexualized to all hell and she was an awful character because they wrote her as a sex object first. Yes, and it also did not help that they wrote that, especially because Will Smith and Margot Robbie were sleeping with each other in real life. Hmm. Yeah, so that's that is my only like that is my only thing that I have to put out there because that better not happen. I swear to fucking God. I know. Um. Anyways, so but, just get off this. I just wanted to briefly touch on uh. Uh, Young Justice Season 4 is ending. Which, it's definitely been a long journey. Do they have plans to go further with the show? Uh, Season 5 has not been greenlit yet, but Season 4 has had the highest ratings of the Young Justice series. Not just total, but it is the highest rated animated superhero show of all time, surpassing Invincible. Jeez. And Invincible was like a cultural hit. Yeah. Like, I'm still waiting for that season two. Yeah, this is apparently, according to Greg <laughs> Weissman today, it has surpassed every animated TV show, that every, every animated superhero show that appeared on streaming. Oh, on streaming, okay. Which includes Invincible, because Invincible was only on streaming. Yeah, see, when I think of that, I'm thinking in my like, head, like, oh god, are we, talk- are we talking about surpassing things from the 90s? But not- no. Streaming... Oh, sure. Okay, because like you can't you can't surpass things like uh, like the Batman animated series Justice League Unlimited. You can't yeah. really surpass things like that. Oof. Yeah, but it's doing really well, and I'm really excited. Um, the ending of the season was actually leaked online because of the fact that Toonami in Canada aired the last episode instead of airing the second to last episode. So, um, yeah, I already know how the season ends because they aired the wrong version in Canada. (laughs) Of course they did. (laughs) And so I already know how it ends and I'm satisfied with how it ends. But I just wanted to talk about it because, one, if you haven't already, please watch Young Justice. It is phenomenal. But I also wanted to bring up something that I've noticed within the community of Young Justice and I feel... It is tying into something bigger, which I also wanted to bring up in regards to Miss Marvel, which is the use of Islam by people to attack, quote-unquote, woke culture in a way that makes you seem less racist, but still allows you to be queerphobic. So... I'm definitely blind to all of that, so definitely go at So, what I mean is basically this. So, in season three of Young Justice, we were introduced to a character named Halo. Halo is non-binary because in Young Justice, Halo 
is a living mother box. That's a thing? All mother boxes and father boxes are living beings. Oh. And so, in Young Justice, Halo is a mother box that inhabits the body of a dead cis girl named Gabrielle Dow. But because, despite the name mother and father boxes, mother boxes don't have genders. And so as a result, Halo doesn't identify as male or female. They don't know what they are. They inhabit a female body because that is what the previous... I don't want to say owner, but the previous soul within the body was a cis female named Gabrielle Dow. Also, Gabrielle Dow was Muslim before she died. And so Halo, now inhabiting Gabrielle's daughter, not daughter, body, feels some form of connection to Islam, as that was what Gabrielle's faith was, but isn't 100% sure if that's what they want. So they wear a hijab, but they're also queer. Like, they are at the... We do not know what their sexuality is. We know they like men and women, because in season three, they dated Brionne, a.k.a. Geoforce, and now in season four, it's looking like they're starting a love interest with Harper Rowe, who is a woman. And a massive amount of fan backlash has gone to Halo by people who say they are Muslims, and I say this in quotation marks, who say that you cannot be queer and a Muslim and that they are an abomination and that they're not real Muslims and so on and so forth. And they say that the Muslim representation in Young Justice is a joke because of the fact that there is a queer Muslim. Mind you, Halo is not the only Muslim character in Young Justice. Halo is someone who is looking for solace within a religion and Islam just happens to be the religion closest to them. So they're exploring that. If you want real Muslim representation, there's a character introduced in Zatanna arc named Khalid. Khalid is the, I believe he is the grandson or great grandson of Kent Nelson, Dr. Fate. And he is Muslim. He is a devout Muslim, but he is trying to balance being a man of science, as he is a doctor, a man of faith, as he is a Muslim, but also a man of magic, as he is a homo magi. Hmm. And they discuss his faith in death, and they also juxtapose it with Dr. Fate's current host, Giovanni Zatara, who is a Catholic. So do you see it in the way that, like, Christians view homosexuality like like fundamentalist Christians? Yes, but what I'm getting at more specifically is that given the current rise of LGBT hatred, it has not been lost on me that a sudden new area of attack towards LGBT people has now come from Muslims. I'm and I say this in quotation marks because I also saw a separate thing happen where, you know FaZe Clan, right? Yes, yeah. So, Face Clan has a player named Virus. Virus is from Saudi Arabia and he is Muslim. Face Clan on uh, June 1st said, Happy Pride Month. We support all of our LGBT fran- fans and uh, supporters and all that. And I see Virus, where, I and see Virus going. 
quote tweeted them and said, I don't support LGBT people. Like, that goes against my beliefs type thing. Uh. And there was a massive amount of people defending him. And it's not lost on me that all of a sudden now, a whole bunch of conservatives online are now using Islam as the area to attack a queer character within Young Justice. And I wouldn't be surprised that if we see a queer character in Miss Marvel, the same things are going to be levied. I've already seen people gearing up saying that Islam is already being treated badly in Miss Marvel by the fact that there were characters that the mom is stripped and shown as in a bad light because she's Muslim. Despite the fact that if you've actually watched Miss Marvel, being Muslim is not the problem as Kamala is Muslim. Her family are Muslim. And so far, no one brings up Allah or the Muslim religion as to why there's conflict. Because, yeah. They, like, straight up, they say Bismillah all the time in a positive way. I had a thought, but it's escaping me now. Um... Anyway, continue. I'll I'll come back to this. Yeah, and so I'm... It has not been lost on me all of a sudden that we are seeing a level of attack on queer people from Muslims. And I keep saying Muslim in quotation marks because a lot of the people that say they're Muslim and do this do not understand Islam in the slightest and have constantly been corrected by actual Muslims who are devout Muslims who have read the Quran. Yeah, so pretty much you're seeing just it being weaponized from the outside to attack, like, to the attack from the outside in. Yes. It has not been lost in me seeing this happen to the queer character in Halo, and I would not be surprised if we're going to see it happen in Miss Marvel. And the fact that there is already a precedent of happening outside of this, outside of the Young Justice community, lends me to believe that this is actually a wider issue. And that I've only noticed it through the Young Justice community, but it's actually representative of something happening on a larger scale. And that we will most likely see it come to the mainstream with Miss Marvel. I believe this is going to be an area of the culture war that conservatives will be using, but not mainstream conservatives. You know how this works. Mainstream conservatives will take the most hegemonic things and they will signal boost it. But under the surface, they signal boost a whole host of conservative thoughts and ideologies that even that are not necessarily in line with um, the standard things that they normally push. And I feel this will be one of them. Okay. It was not lost on me that when Phase Virus made his anti-LGBT post on Twitter, for as many people as there were criticizing him, there were many people who are conservative that were signal boosting him, saying that it was great for him to stand up to the LGBT and that just because he doesn't support them doesn't mean he hates them, which... What does it mean when you say you don't support LGBT people? Because... Supporting LGBT people, from our perspective, is supporting their right to exist. And if you disagree with that, that means you tell me you don't support their right to exist, which ostensibly means you don't think they should exist. That that belief in its foundation is not 
really based on any logic. Oh, it's obviously. Just, I, it's, it's, it's just a way to get them out of that like yeah. particular scenario. Because remember, they're very... Feels over facts. They're very inconsistent. They'll just say anything that applies to the current situation if they feel it'll get them the, like, the best optical look. Yes. And so I wanted to bring that up. And that's why I wanted to bring up Young Justice, because I wanted to bring that up. Because in probably what will be our smoothest transition from media to politics, I want to now talk about actual queer phobia happening in real life. And let's let's make this segment quick, because we are running low on time. Yes. So after talking about how queer phobia is being attacked from, quote unquote, Muslims, now let us talk about queer phobia happening in mass in America. And so this is the first time we're ever actually going to bring up a content creator on this podcast. And the reason being is because we really don't give a fuck about content creators like that in terms of our opinions. But this content creator actually mainstreamed an issue, which is a content creator by the name of Shuanhead, who she signal boosted a tweet from a right winger that went to a drag show in Texas where a bunch of kids went to a drag show with their parents where they were drag queens doing performances they're just doing silly dances and walking around and doing poses and the kids were like posing and doing dabs and all that not the drug dabs as in the dance move they were doing like dabs and shit and like they were having a great time but uh the republican framed it as oh look at these transgendered male strippers trying to groom children and their biggest form of evidence was besides the fact that some of the drag queens wore what could be considered skimpy which i swear to god they were wearing more clothes than you would see at a fucking hooters they were wearing skimpy outfits and there was a and since it took place at an ice cream shop there was a sign that said it's not going to lick itself i've, I've obviously, heard actually a lot of, i've actually heard a lot of cont- uh, like uh like a lot of confusion as to whether or not it was an ice cream it shop. It is an ice cream shop. It is. It is an ice cream shop. It the, the it's no, it's a fucking ice cream shop. Well, I looked well, this up. Either either way, that doesn't detract from the fact that that's not really that harmful. Yeah, it's a fucking double entendre, which I swear to fucking God, conservatives act like, oh my god, see this is proof of grooming. Bitch, have you seen SpongeBob? Doubloons. <laughs> uh, Don't drop them. SpongeBob wait, wait. doesn't have any hair. Or does he? <laughs> Literally, SpongeBob made a don't drop the soap joke. <laughs> Have you seen SpongeBob? Have you seen the Fairly Odd Parents? Have you seen anything made for fucking children within the past four decades? What what shows have it the most? What What is it? Rocco's Martin. Martin oh my Martin. fucking God, Rocco's Martin. He's a literal sex hotline worker. Are you fucking <laughs> shitting me? <laughs> I love Rocco's Modern Life, but Rocco's Modern Life is the most overly sexual kid show that has gotten away with that shit. His best friend is fucking named Heifer. <laughs> Are you fucking shitting me? Come on. All of that is to say that Shuan Head signal boosted and tried to say that yes, these drag queens are inappropriate and they are grooming children and it caused a massive discourse on twitter which then resulted in tucker carlson picking up the segment now you're probably thinking shiny 
are you sure Tucker Carlson picked this up because of Twitter? And the answer is yes, and I know this because I've actually met someone and talked to them before who has talked about the fact that Tucker Carlson does in fact look at Twitter a lot, but specifically he follows queer Twitter and TikTok accounts so he can build arguments against them. Which does make sense. A lot of actually, a lot of content creators actually look up people on the other side to like know what's going on. Yes, and Tucker Carlson is one of them. And so Shuan Head is a massive figure. She was from the skeptic days where it was atheism versus religious fundamentalism on YouTube, but she is a massive anti-SJW that has changed a lot of her positions, but she still has a massive right-wing following. She used to be friends with um, terrorists, with the terrorist known as Lauren Southern, and yes, Lauren Southern is a fucking terrorist, and anyone that says otherwise can go fucking die. She's a fucking terrorist. But she was friends with her, and so she went ahead as a massive audience, a massive conservative audience that reaches to many massive conservative figures, such as the people at the Daily Wire. And thus, it is not far-fetched to believe that something that she signaboost would reach the ears of someone like Tucker Carlson. Yeah. Tucker Carlson then made a segment about the drag queens, calling them groomers, saying it was inappropriate, saying that the children were being abused, which has now led to legislation being proposed in Texas to ban children from ever attending any drag event punishable by law. And the drag queens that were at the ice cream shop are now being harassed in person by conservatives, or as they like to be called, Christian fascists, Christian fascists in Texas. All of this is to say is that queerphobia in America is reaching a level that at this point it would be irresponsible of us not to talk about and would be irresponsible to say that we are not looking at the beginning steps of a queer genocide because so that's can... exactly what's happening. So, unfortunately, you can easily say things like, oh, this is only impacting, like, a minority of a minority of a minority of people who would, who would ever even take kids to drag shows. And that's how it starts. It always... it always starts with little things every single time. Like, I'm going to, I'm going to, go, uh, I'm going to go on a massive stretch here, but please follow me. Mm -hmm. Remember, they first, they first did little things like the armbands, and then they moved to the ghettos, and then, then we moved to the camps. I'm skipping a lot of steps, but you can see the analogy I'm going for here. Now, okay. at the end of the day, I don't think we're going to get, like, so, queer camps or anything, but at the end of the day, let's also not forget that it happened once, and history does have the tendency to repeat itself. Listen, this is actually, what you're saying actually comes from a poem by Pastor Martin Nmoye. I don't know how to pronounce his name. Don't tell me I just quoted someone without even knowing who they were. <laughs> but they said this. This is a poem written during the Holocaust. First they came for the communist, and I did not speak out, because I was not a communist. Then they came for the socialist, and I did not speak out, because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I did not speak out, because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me, and then there was no one left to speak for me. 
And so, uh, what group did he, uh, he um, uh, was he a part of? Uh, so, he actually, so he, funnily enough, he was initially a Nazi. Actually, that doesn't strike me as surprising, yeah. He was a Nazi who rebelled against the Nazis because of their um, targeting of the church. Okay, so that makes sense why he was on the last on that ladder. Okay, mm-hmm. okay. So, the, send me that later because I do, yeah. I do, like, with the upcoming, like, queer hatred, I do want to learn more about, like, uh, what's it called? Like, the early stages of the rise of German fascism. Yeah, so basically, he was a former Adolf Hitler supporter, and then eventually, after they came to the church, he realized very quickly he was very wrong. And he was imprisoned for it in a prison camp, and inevitably he was freed, and he then went on to completely change his advocacy. For anti-fascist advocacy, he opposed the Vietnam War, he met with Ho Chi Minh, like... Yeah, but the point of that poem is to say that just because you look at this and say it's just a fraction of a fraction, it's just people at drag shows, This there is it a... always begins with the people that you think the least of and the people that you think are so far removed from you. But this shit happens fast. The Holocaust happened in less than 10 years. Yeah. The Holocaust started... In 1938 or 1939. And the war ended in like... 1944. Yeah. Yeah, no, that is that is fast. It and is dangerously fast considering how many people died in the Holocaust? Six million. That number seems low than I remember. Stalin killed more people. Okay, there we go. Okay. Stalin killed nearly double people by um, shipping them off to Siberia. Okay, that's... Okay. No, no, no. Holocaust killed like six million people. I could have sworn that number was higher, but yeah, you're right. Okay. Yeah, no, no. They killed six million in what is basically six years. Jesus Christ. Imagine killing six million people. Exactly. But also remember that their their reign spanned a massive amount of Europe. Yes. Not just Germany. However, you get what I'm coming from. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I understand. And remember, and that is definitely feasible nowadays, considering how big the U.S. population is. Exactly. Now, I don't, again, I don't want to say that we're on that track, but we are definitely on a track. We are on a track to, um... Because at the end of the day, I don't think we're going to see, mul- like, multi-million numbers of people... Oh, wait, sorry, correction. It was more than six million. It was just six million Jews alone. That was it. I knew that number was low. It was six million Jews. There was probably more that was killed. But still, um, the Soviets killed more under Stalin. The other groups that were killed was um, the Romanis, the Poles, Soviets, Jehovah's Witnesses, black people, the disabled, and homosexuals. Okay. But we are definitely on a path, and the signs are there. 
because... Oh, and sorry, um, never mind. The Holocaust era is considered to have started in 1933. Wow, the death... The Holocaust era started in 1933 and ends in 1945. However, um, the death camps and such did not start until the very late 1930s. Okay. So that, that would be when they would start recording those deaths. Yes. Okay. But still... Fact of the matter is that this is definitely the precursor. But that's to... still that's still to your point. Five years to escalate from the beginning to the start of the of the yeah, nineteen thirty three to around nineteen thirty eight is about five years. So your point is still accurate. Yeah, before they ramped up to just full on murdering people. Yeah, and God, I... and it should not be it should not be lost in us that last year was one of the highest years in terms of violence against trans people. Yeah, and ultimately we are. Su- we are seeing a related rise in online content creators advocating for, like, queer people to move out of red states. Yes. Which ultimately, like, at the beginning from the outside could look as, like, very callous because the just move argument has been very criticized for its lack of um, sympathy and, like, a general awareness of people's situations. But now that is actually looking extremely feasible. Yes, because... It's not looking good. I mean, we we've talked about this before. We live in Florida. Yeah. Um, like, as being queer in this state isn't necessarily safe. We thankfully live in a city that is a safe haven, relatively so, for queer people. We we just we, live in a blue bubble. That's... We live in a blue bubble within a very red state. Like we, whenever we go out to, so depending on where we're driving to, you can find billboards of people decrying the "Don't Say Gay" bill in this city yeah but if we took a step outside of this city we're talking about a whole different ball game mm-hmm. yeah definitely and so like even even as like for like straight straight cis men if you're a minority except, you're, you're, yeah. you're, you're five years down the line honest to god yes and while sovereign may be a straight cis man he is still very much uh he's still very much in danger of racial violence I'm doubly fucked, as I'm not straight, <laughs> and I am a minority. But I yeah. am cis. Yeah. But <coughs> all of that is to say that um, this type of rhetoric that someone as popular as Shuan had put out is one of the many precursor steps to a queer genocide. And the fact that we're seeing so many avenues of attack towards queer people, calling them groomers constantly just like saying anything related to queer culture is akin to a pedophilic trojan horse the fact that people are attacking queerness by using and invoking religious freedom all of this is to say that queer people are in trouble and if you are queer you should be defending yourself first and foremost whether that is moving to blue states if possible taking self-defense classes, arming yourselves with the appropriate firearms and such, and being able to meet and connect with people that are either queer themselves or queer allies, I believe any step is necessary. Yeah, or even not even firearms. You can find non-lethal ways to protect yourself too, like like uh, mace and tasers as well. Obviously, but we because also there are, there are, like, I only say this just because I know the general attitude of people on yes. our side. Yes, I know the general attitude of people on the left is that they would prefer not to use firearms because, let's be honest here, a lot of lefties are clinically suicidal. 
So giving them guns would not be a good I, idea. I just do want to bring that up because th- there are alternatives to defending yourself. Yeah, there are alternatives, but I also want to be realistic. We live in a country where there are more guns than people, and the people more likely to own those guns are the same people likely to go lynch queer people. Mm-hmm. So yeah. getting yes. guns is still a good I- a good idea. It's still if a good possible. idea, but if it's if if you feel it necessary to go out for alternative, those do exist. If and and please don't let your squeamishness be an excuse, please, for the love of God. Yeah. I would definitely recommend to be getting to arming yourselves because we are seeing the beginnings of it. This is how it begins. The demonization, the dehumanization. And, and I brought it up months earlier. I told you the actions of, like, of the actions against the queer community. I'm seeing the signs. Didn't I say yes. this earlier? I yeah. said this. They No, the signs are there. The and signs... I, and, I was 100 per, and I'm probably going to be 100% correct. Yeah, no, you are absolutely right. We are seeing the beginning signs of what is effectively a queer genocide. And now a lot of people think, oh my god, genocide. That's so like, wow, you're being so hyperbolic or you're being so dramatic or alarmist. We're, 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 we're literally seeing a cultural genocide. Well, the equivalent of a cultural genocide, as we can call it, because a sexual... Or queer genocide isn't exactly isn't actually definitional or doesn't exist definitionally. But what we mean by that is there are people out there that believe that there should be a net like lower in general number of queer people. Now, most of these people on some level either believe that it's a choice or they believe that it is inherent to you. But at the end of the day, they don't care. They want it to stop, meaning that they either want to shame you. To the point where you no longer come out as gay or if they do believe it's something genetic and you cannot control they want you to die yeah and at this point their actions while they don't definitionally align are the equivalent of a cultural genocide again mostly because a sexual or queer genocide isn't exactly defined by who who am I thinking of? The, the, is it the UN or no? It's the UN. Oh, it is the UN. Okay. Yeah, yeah, because the, their definitions uh, correlate to, like, uh, mass genocide and cultural genocide. I believe are like what they stick with with their definitions. Yeah, they they're mainly thinking when they think of genocide, they think Holocaust. They think of the Rwandan genocide. They think of the Armenian genocide. Um, something like this is much more difficult, but still possible because, let's be honest here, the fact that these Christian fascists are already attacking trans people by just harassing them and yelling and screaming at them and, like, charging at them, that is one step away from someone grabbing one of them and hitting them and it all goes to hell. I mean, listen, I'm black. So I know damn well how very quickly this shit will turn from just yelling and screaming to one person grabbing someone to a beatdown to a beating to death to then a hanging then to a lynching. These things escalate very, very quickly. And let us be honest here. Yeah, the fact that they keep using the term groomer is they're playing on the public perception that most people, if given the chance, if meeting a real pedophile, would try to beat them to death. Yeah. It is not lost on us that the reason why they keep saying groomer is because they are implicitly trying to incite violence against people who they believe are to be, you know, sexually abusing children. Ultimately, they're trying to create the narrative that it is justified to do so. They are creating the justification and even if they say, oh, I don't want them to get beaten, I want them to go to prison for something. Think yeah. about it for a second. It is also known in prison 
that prisoners, if they found out you were sexually abusing someone that is a child, they will kill you in prison. So even if they say, I don't want to beat them to death, I just want them to stop and maybe go to jail. Now, now I want to round out this segment because we are running low on time. I'm going to be naively optimistic, and I say that wholeheartedly. I'm going to be extremely naive in my optimism here. But let me just say this. Mm-hmm. I do believe we can make it through this. Oh, make I bo- it, Make no. it through this without, without death? No, I'm not going to be that naive. Yeah. But I believe we can make it through this as a society. Because oh, yeah, I believe so- we can make it through Because the similarities well. between, like, between this and other genocides, ultimately, we have educated our society to an extent that we might be able to sway the populace about this. The, now, the big, the issue, the big yeah. issue that I want to point out is that I'm afraid that once we finally surpass this and finally like de-escalate the fascism ladder to back to where like we can actually make trans people acceptable i am i am like in fear that we are going to whitewash or history will whitewash this so that way these like rationalities and these uh behaviors are ripe to pop up again in another three generations let's be honest here if trans people are to be accepted, do you want to know what's the real thing that's going to happen? Those same trans people are just going to be recruited into white nationalist gangs, and they'll be like, "Oh, you're one of the." They will, they will, they will. Just like how gay people are getting more and more accepted, I say more and more accepted in the loosest way possible, but more and more accepted in white supremacist groups because they're racist. Knowing how America is America, and America's favorite pastime is racism. Um, I would see they would sooner accept white trans people so they can be racist against black people. That's a, that's pretty much how moving forward America is going to look like. Yeah. Which so because I which it's not that I would say I would prefer that to a trans genocide, but that's just kind of how America works. If you're a minority group that can be used to attack another minority group, the white power establishment will take you. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, my biggest fear is that we're not going to learn why the things that happen happen. We're just going to look at what happened as being bad, not the things that happen up to that point being bad. Just, oh, look look at that moment in our history. Uh, yeah, we, we don't talk about that. Exactly. And ultimately, that's ultimately why re- Reconstruction failed on our um, the American society. It's reconstruction failed because we didn't let Bernard Sherman do what he was meant to do. Vernon Sherman should have burned the entire South to the fucking ground. And ultimately, because of that, Confederate alignment is still popular because we don't acknowledge that the things that they believe were awful. Yeah, unfortunately, but hopefully one day. Well, I mean, I mean Sherman's long dead, and I kind of don't want the South to burn down, but you know what I mean. Yeah. So ultimately, we I do want to wrap up the podcast early. Uh, relatively on time today so i just the one thing that we should bring up really quickly though is the recent assassination well planned assassination attempt on supreme court justice brett kavanaugh so so i think it was today yeah it was today it was there was a man motivated by the uh leaked roe v wade decision to with a zip ties knife and handgun as well as um pepper spray and pepper spray to go and assassinate uh kavanaugh 
Yes, he was stopped by U.S. Marshals who do 24-hour security around his property. And I hate this for many different reasons. One, this is only going to fuel the right's idea that the left do want to completely dismantle democracy, which is the biggest form of projector I have ever seen since the first projector was ever made. But also, this is also going to really divide people. And even though every day I do hope and pray that Brett Kavanaugh dies a horrible, brutal death, I don't want him to be murdered. I would much rather he have a heart attack. Yeah. So, as far as how I view this... In I... Roblox, in Roblox, in Roblox. I would like him to have a heart attack in Roblox. I would like him to die of a heart attack so in Roblox. Ultimately, I view this as like... Ultimately, this is just a symptom of what's going on because of their actions. Ultimately, their inability to, like, not only, like, attend to America's needs, but to progress as a society will further radicalize people. And we see it on both sides. I mean, more we see so on the right, but now we're getting instances like this, and this is just going to blow up in our face. Yeah. And ultimately, we are going to have more instances like this. It's not going to change. So ultimately, we have to prepare ourselves to be able to distinguish us from them as far as like the movement we want to create. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, the, the instances like this should be easily condemnable. But this will happen because, unfortunately, society is so much shit that people are going to be easily radicalized like this. Even on our side. Yeah. And um, that this is also because... Um, we also say this because we do not like stochastic violence. And let's be honest here. That leaking of it, which despite the fact that we believe that this was leaked by conservatives, still encouraged a level of stochastic violence. Yeah. And with all that being said, I do want to round out with one more... Oh. Breaking news? The Supreme Court decision was that federal officers are now immune to lawsuits regarding to them violating your constitutional rights. Okay. Do you want to talk about that for two minutes, or...? Um, we basically, say... all that I would have to say about that is this is just another level of the fact that Republicans are evil, and they are fascist, and they are trying to destroy democracy. Because the ability to stop federal agents from being held accountable for when they take away your rights is another step in ensuring that they can do whatever the fuck they want to you, which plays into the fact that we have been talking about the fact that most of these Republicans also are for a queer genocide, and they want the destruction of democracy, which would entail being able to silence people opposing them. Okay. This is just another level of them being ontologically evil and that they probably need to be stopped by getting jailed for all the crimes that they've committed and getting booted out of every election because we vote them out. Please do not commit violence. We just talked about why that is bad. Please do not do so. Okay. If anything, please hope for them to all get collective heart attacks in Roblox. All right. So with all of that being said, I do want to round out the podcast with a teaser for what we might be talking about next week. So... We will be seeing January, this January 6th committee coming out with public hearings to actually in the next week. Yes. So we will be covering that. Funnily enough, it has been pointed out that Fox News will not be broadcasting this because the facts do not apply to them. Even though 
Fox Business is going to be hosting it. Uh, or playing it. <laughs> Which is, uh... Remember, uh, feels over facts with these people. Um, also, we will be talking about um, more Kenobi, more Miss Marvel. Um, we will also talk about, uh, I guess we'll talk about Young Justice ending. Yeah. yeah. Um, this, uh, we won't talk about this next week, but, um, eventually we will be talking about Trump and his two children, Ivanka and Trump Jr., testifying against the New York, uh, state civil investigation. Oh, yeah, because... But that's in July. Because of the, uh, subpoena that he, uh, failed to respond to. Yeah. <laughs> Either way... Take care of yourselves, people. Honestly. Yeah, def- definitely, definitely. This was, I would say, as always, the first half of the podcast is always fun, but ultimately... We talk about politics because it's important and how we want you people to vote. We tell you about all of these dire and really scary things not to make you feel that there's nothing to be done, but to inspire you to go out and do something. As, as a matter of fact... We've had three primary cycles already in the past few months, and we have had a solid amount of progressives actually win. So hell, I think there. Uh, who is, who is whose seat is in danger? Is it Greg Abbott? But he's going as Beto. I was more thinking about that the Senate. I'm oh, try- the Senate, Senate, sorry, sorry. So I'm trying to think. Most likely doesn't stand a chance, but. Uh, what's his name? What's his name? Uh, dentist. Very goofy. Louis Gomer? No. Wait. No, is he the dentist? He's dentist. a doctor of some kind. Uh, had a father who was very prominent in politics. Ran for president in 2012. Rand Paul. Rand Paul. Rand Paul, yeah. Yeah, no, his, uh, he's going to be going up against progressive in the general election. Yeah. Which... I don't know if he's going to win, but based on his campaign, he, he may have a shot. The polls have kind of fallen out in terms of conservative. In terms of the conservative like dynasties and in terms of permanent conservatives, the polls have kind of died out. They were more popular during the, 20, during the early 2010s, was that, but what? in the Trump era, they kind of really fell out of favor as they did not radicalize as quickly as the party did. Was I correct? Was he a dare of some kind, right? I don't fucking remember. They're all kind of fucking jokes to me. Yeah, they are. They kind of are. But, yes, we tell you these things to go out and vote. We tell you these things to go out and do things like mutual aid. We tell you to go out and just advocate for the things you believe in, to protect people as much as you can. Because at the end of the day, we are seeing, like, in the primaries, we actually have seen people who believe in the things that we believe in actually win and if we can carry that to the primary or to the generals well yes we are going to be gerrymandered to hell and it's going to be a rough ride it's entirely if we get if we get one or two people in at the very least on both parts of congress we can stave off the fall of democracy for another two years yes yes and we can make our movement more and more popular remember just bringing in the squad popularize progressivism so much not just bringing in the squad from bernie just existing and he like his movement established what later the squad would believe in exactly so please 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 don't give up hope yes we are most likely going to lose the house or no the senate is it the senate is almost a guarantee we might lose the house but 
ultimately, doomerism will never change our outcomes for the better. Yes. Because say we do end up in the fall of democracy. Do you really want to just roll over and die when that happens? Because that's not what I'm fucking doing. Yeah, I, Even I, in the worst case scenario, fight! Yeah. There should never be a point in time where you just give up and roll over and die. You Ult- should always fight. Yeah, because ultimately, end of the, at the end of the day, even though I do have dual citizenship, this is America here. This exactly. Is, this is where, like, this is, well, I hate to be cliche, but this is the land of opportunity. But this, also, think about it. The term, oh, if it can happen, it can't happen, it can't happen here. No, if it can happen here, it can happen anywhere. And let's be honest here. The only reason why the Nazis failed was because there were more powerful countries that can stop them. There aren't many countries that can stop America. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Unless China decides to... Oh, I... <laughs> if China Why decides... the fuck are you even bringing up China? We know they're fascists, too. Yeah. No, 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 no. The only thing that can take us out at this point are other fascists. Or yeah, dictators. see, and uh, that's not that's not the world I want to live in, so... Yeah, no, because uh, let's just face it here. People are projecting that their economy is going to overtake ours, and I do not want to see that day. That day is coming very quickly. Uh-huh. So, Especially yeah. considering that, I hate to say it, but their green energy projects are working much faster than ours, and that is an absolute embarrassment. Yeah, because unfortunately for that, unfortunately for us, our conservative and fascists are not. Well, it's never that conservatives and fascists are pragmatic. It's just that ours are just brain dead, retarded, while theirs is just you know, brain dead. Exactly. Anyways, you will catch us next week. Yep. Have a good night, everybody. Stay hopeful, and we will see you guys next week. Good night. See ya. Bye.